With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Okay, if you haven't guessed yet, that is Long Highway by the Jezebels. Yes, I still am playing the Jezebels, even after last week, especially after last week. As as you may know, if you listened to last week's show, we got a really nice surprise here on Don't Let It Go Unheard by being able to speak with Haley Mary. First of all, I loved getting the interview, and I didn't have any particular expectations in terms of any ideological connection between us or literature appreciation connections between us because she had described herself in some interview as a feminist. And I thought, well, still, you know, talk to her and ask her. And sure enough, she's read Atlas Shrugged and she speaks favorably and intelligently about it. 
One highlight is her description of capitalism as the way people are doing right by themselves and by each other and interacting. I'm paraphrasing there. And not paraphrasing, she called Dagny Taggart a badass. (laughs) She called Atlas Shrugged a genius book. So that was my birthday present, I figured, last week. That was my birthday (laughs) present. I got to interview someone who I really respect and also found out that there's an affinity uh, between us. That was kind of cool. And so, yeah, still playing them, still promoting them. I put the links on, if you go to Don't Let It Go Unheard, uh, excuse me, don'tletitgo.com, you can see all the links for today's show, and that includes links to the Jezebels. My Is the sound strange to you, Bosch? Do we have something weird going on with the sound setup here? I don't know. If anyone else can let us know, it sounds okay to me. Okay, okay. I think maybe I'm... I'm worried because I have a little cold and have some some sneezes coming. I'm going to try to hold them off, but we don't have those uh, sneeze buttons. This is live radio, folks. Yeah, we don't have cough buttons or sneeze buttons. It is live radio. It's Friday the 13th, and there's a full moon. We don't believe in that stuff, but we will use it as an excuse for any snafu that happens during the live show today. Anyway, I'm happy to see some people over here in the chat room. One thing I was going to say is that if you are in the Chicago area, go check out the Jezebels tonight. I think there's tickets still available. And that's the beauty of this is you can check out a band that's cranking out some really good shows and good music, and you can see them in a small, intimate venue. And they can also play at the Apple Store in New York. Uh, the Apple in, Store. In a, in an intimate set. I wish I was in New York City yeah, for that. And, this and is they said they're going to interact also. Apple, who I already love, and I've, I've got all these Apple products surrounding me here in the Don't Let It Go Unheard official <laughs> studio. Um, so you could see Apple products and listen to the Jezebels and maybe talk to the Jezebels at the same time. I think that yeah. would be really cool. I think our little time for our intro is is growing short here, Bosh, and i got to find yeah, the actual wrong. intro music or else I'm going to be toast, fast? right? Yeah, can you believe? So we're about to get into the show proper. If you want to call in and talk about the story, 760-888-5817, or just chime in over here at the chat room at Blog Talk Radio, and we'll talk to you on the other side of the intro. Okay, this is the first snafu of the Friday the 13th edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. This is the show where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. That is the philosophy that upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. And uniquely so, I stand by that, the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. Other people are in favor of happiness. Who really supports the right to the pursuit of your own happiness but Ayn Rand? Right. Yeah, so... Anyway, I'm Amy Peekoff. Join me here in the studio, as usual, is cartoonist Bosch Faustin. 
And if you go over to my blog at don'tletitgo.com, you will see I've titled today's show really about the issue of the Snowden, the one-year anniversary of the Snowden revelations. And there's been a lot of kind of perspective blog posts and shows about this. And the title is Snowden was right to fear that nothing would change. And the reason I'm doing it is because of a request that I got this week. I actually got a request to shoot a one-minute video, and it's going to be used in a show on Al Jazeera. No, I've never watched Al Jazeera. I've never been on Al Jazeera before. There is a show by Al Jazeera English. It's based in London, that show. The production of it is based there. And the show is called Listening Post. And I'm wondering how I got that. Was that? From, I think it was from. Maybe, oh, it's from this computer. computer. Yeah, yeah. Turn off the. Uh, we've got Mac. Apologize, everyone. Mac mail on. We we blame Bosch for that. Okay. Um, Listening Post. Listening Post is a show that does a critique of news coverage of big stories, and it's only a half hour show. It's going to be on Al Jazeera America. If you watch it there, I believe it's going to be 8:30 a.m. Pacific time this coming Sunday which I assume is 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time. If you go to Al Jazeera America's website, they have a schedule thing, and you should be able to scroll through the Sunday, June 15th schedule and find the show. I, I debated a little bit whether I should go on Al Jazeera, but I think really especially the English version is kind of posing themselves as liberal competitors with I was a little, um, CNN. I was a little put off by the invitation. I thought about it, and I said, well, if I was invited to be on to debate uh, G. Willow Wilson, the writer of Miss Marvel, Marvel's Muslim Superior, I would absolutely jump at it. I would want the exposure. I want to go out there and take it to the enemy camp. Right. You know? And it, I've been on the Daily Show, and that's an enemy camp as far as I'm concerned, and any of these shows. So, But, uh, you know, I mean, what do you, what do you, what do you say about the accusation that you're a quote-unquote collaborator? I'm a collaborator. This is what I th- I think that they have a lot more to lose ultimately. And, and you noticed I played the song Long Highway <laughs> to start out the show today. This is a long-term battle, and there is no way that I'm going to appear on an objectivist news outlet with any reach anytime soon. And the whole idea is we're trying to be out there and penetrate the culture with the right ideas. And okay, yeah, so go ahead. Thing, sure. People uh, uh, told me also, hey, why are you going on The Daily Show? It's a leftist uh, place. I mean, you should go on Fox. Is that my... I mean, I don't have the, you know, I can't get on Fox. They haven't invited me. Right. You know, whoever invites me right now, really, I mean, I will absolutely consider it because I want my, my message out there, even if it's opposed to the entire, you know, it, it's like if Marvel right now somehow, some way asks me, we want you to take over Miss Marvel, our Muslim superhero. I would, under the idea that I can, can, you know, basically make her leave Islam by the end of the series. Of course, it won't happen, but what I'm saying is I would do that. Right. Whatever they've done up to, up to this point. Well, and part of my test is, are they going to include, and I was very careful to make a succinct, efficient one-minute clip. They said, give us something around a minute. I gave them something just under one minute, which took me several takes to get correct, and it says exactly what I want to say, including the most controversial things that I say Mm -hmm. about privacy. You can see the link to the YouTube clip at don'tletitgo.com. I've posted it right there, so you can go ahead and play it if you haven't. If you want to see more videos from me in the future, go ahead and subscribe to the YouTube account. It's a Don't Let It Go YouTube account. I've never used it before. This is the first video. So I just figure, okay, this is a test. We see what kind of show this is, what they do with my clip, 
And if I get those ideas about the fact that privacy needs to ultimately be protected by our rights to property and contract, if I get that controversial stuff in there, I think ultimately I've gained more and I don't think I've propped them up at all. And in fact, that they're giving exposure to ideas that are ultimately anathema to anything to do with Islam, for sure. So we'll see. Um, Al Jazeera is owned by the government of Qatar, according to Wiki. Okay. But in Al Jazeera America, I don't know if, if that's the case as well. And they are putting all sorts of ideas. So the whole, the whole thing that they said is they want to get a variety of views on the topic of the effect of the Snowden revelations out there. I gave them my very controversial view. If they include that clip in whole, I think overall it's, it's a win. Yeah, and, and if someone and watches that things, and gets you onto a you know a, a better channel, let's just let's say someone at Fox is watching that says I want her, I'm, I'm gonna show that. that. That's the benefit of going on like that. When I went on the Daily Show, I mm-hmm. reconnected with an old agent of mine who's my right. agent today. Right. It might not have happened otherwise. It's it's just really to put yourself in position. And as Breitbart did, it, you got to go to the enemy camp. I mean, you really do. You can't just uh, preach to the choir. You can't. I mean, we're not there. We're not there where we have a big enough audience anyway to preach to the choir. We've got to go a little outside of that. We want to reach people who wouldn't necessarily be, you know, um, locked into our ideas. Yeah. No. So I think overall, but I mean, again, we'll see what happens with the show. I want to see what happens with the show. And what you can do is you can watch, if you have access to the Al Jazeera show, you can watch it and you can compare it to my clip on YouTube. So you'll see yeah. exactly what I sent them. They it's said only a minute, so you they, can really Yeah, tell. they said it had to be a minute. It had to be continuous take. It gives me new appreciation for what Pat Condell does mm. because I put as much as I could into the minute. Now, the thing with Condell is Condell doesn't have any particular time limit, so he doesn't have to cut it at exactly one minute or two minutes. But from what I understand, what he does is he doesn't even go by a script at all. And I imagine he, he was a exactly, stand-up comedian. Right. I think he was. And uh, he, probably, he probably writes something out, memorizes it to some extent. He's excellent, by the way. If you haven't, if you haven't checked out his, his video, check out his new one. Um, it deals with um, the word helpful. Helpful. When say, oh well, that's not helpful. It's like people accuse me of my work against Islam. It's not really helpful. Right. And he has a perfect answer to that. No, I love it. I really, I really love how no nonsense he is. Anyway, go ahead and check out the video. Subscribe to the YouTube account if you like videos. And one wonderful thing that came out of this was that it got me off my butt in terms of actually making yeah. a video. I've been threatening to make a video for months, and I have the whole lighting, and it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> those those who know my lifestyle know that it's kind of hard for me to take on an entirely new thing, and and to get the the brain power to take on this project. So they said, okay, we need a video by tomorrow. I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to be setting up these lights and figuring out how to do this. And it actually wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. The hard thing here was just getting all the content I wanted to get into one minute and still be understood, which I think I achieved. So you can let me know if you think that that's true. Uh, The thing I wanted to say, though, about this today is not just to say, oh, look, I did a video and I'm going to be on TV, but there are stories that are showing that, unfortunately, the things that I said in the video were right. And what I said in the video is that I thought that Snowden was right to fear 
that nothing would change as a result of his disclosures. And that what you see mostly right now is people tinkering around the edges. And and in order to get fundamental legal reform, there's going to be a lot more than just outrage of politicians who want to get reelected among an outraged public. You've got to have fundamental change at the level of the constitutional doctrine. Because what do we have right now? All they've got right now is the option of enacting a new statute right? And and a statute can just be repealed tomorrow. It's a very temporary thing. What we need to do is get all of this third-party data back under the you know umbrella of protection of the Fourth Amendment. And the only way to do that is to eliminate the so-called third-party doctrine. That's what I talk about in there. Here's a story that was shared with me this morning by Marianne Durad on Facebook. It's from Investors.com. It's an IBD editorial. Headline is, and it's just published yesterday, so it was posted yesterday, uh, the headline is that Obama is going to let the feds trawl personal financial data for so-called crimes. Sorry, that's, uh, he's going to let them. Let them trawl. He's, no, he's not going to make them do it. He's going to let them. Okay, you guys want to do it? Okay, I'll let you do it. Because you have no invested interest in doing that. Well, I He's mean, fishing. He's I'm, fishing for, for crime. That doesn't exist. I'm sure all the people who are feds under him are... They're taking his orders. Well, yeah, they're, they're taking his orders, and they're also people who are motivated like he is yeah. to you know, achieve some sort of a totalitarian state where he's going to get whatever his ultimate ends are. Um, <laughs> the first words in this editorial are Big Brother. It says, the Obama regime plans to let law enforcement agencies sift through Americans' most sensitive private financial information once it collects it as part of a vast new database. Your privacy is under threat. You say it was bad enough that the proposed National Mortgage Database Project could expose millions of Americans to identity theft, hacking, and fraud. Now we learn it could also expose them to prosecution. It says created and maintained jointly by the Federal Housing Finance Agency, and Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the database will store vast amounts of personally identifiable information as well as extremely sensitive personal and financial information that even the IRS doesn't collect. Include your credit scores, performance data on credit cards, and home, auto, business, and student loans. I would love a master hacker to flip this and go against Washington politicians and see what's in there. I mean, seriously. And reveal that. Well, and this is the thing, too. It's going to include, presumably, all these politicians' data. And if it does, that means that any current president, Obama, or anybody after that, is going to be able to hold something over these guys because it's going to have their information in that database, too. If you remember, um, who's the guy from Vermont, Sanders, who put the query? Yeah, the uh, socialist club. He put the query to the NSA rep and said, right. are, are we also in Congress being watched? And they said, yes. and they said some vague thing about, you like, enjoy yes. the same rights as all the rest of the American people, Meaning which means no you rights. also Your have... Your rights are being violated yeah. as well. Exactly. So everyone, including the politicians, are under surveillance. You know, and again, a lot of this, you'd say, okay, well, it wouldn't be such a big deal if the government didn't have the power to initiate force, initiate force against American citizens and act on all this data. So, for example, with the IRS, increased audits and all this stuff. But I maintain that even if the government supposedly right now didn't have the power to initiate force against citizens except for trolling through all this data, 
against their will. It would still be an outrage because it would infringe on our privacy. And privacy alone, regardless of whether the government's going to act on this data about us or whether we're going to be deemed criminal in the eyes of the government, privacy alone has a value. And that value has been taken away from us. We do not have any kind of idea that we have privacy right now. And that is no doubt affecting our productivity, no doubt affecting our enjoyment of our life and in relationships. This is all stuff that I've been talking about in my lectures and that I'm going to incorporate into my upcoming book. But I maintain that even if the government couldn't do anything about whatever it found in here, just the collecting alone is yep. is a violation. So, But they're taking it as a given. And uh, who's arguing against this? I mean, Rand Paul brought it up in one instance. Right. I think the third-party doctrine hasn't mentioned it since. Well, it's in the lawsuit, and I don't know what the status of that lawsuit is. That's what I'm saying. We, we, haven't, heard of, we haven't heard a peep out of it. Maybe it wasn't that important to him. Maybe in the time when this privacy thing became, quote, unquote, hot, he jumped on it, and that's it. Right. Now he's off of it. So Can't be trusted. In addition, this repository that includes the credit scores and the performance data on your credit cards, home, auto, business, student loans, it's going to be linked to your name, telephone numbers, social security number, employment records, address, date of birth, as well as race and religion. Big database. It's collecting the data, they say, for research and policy making. It says, but according to a new notice posted in the Federal Register, it's also described, the following is also described as routine use for the database. And remember, all they have to do now is just declare that they're going to be doing this stuff within the information, and then that suddenly makes it legal. Yeah. The third-party doctrine means that once you have shared this information with a third party, which you have to do today in order to survive or in order to thrive, you're sharing information with third parties all the time in order to do everything all day long. Something else I talk about in my book. But when, you know, when you've done this, and then when the government declares that, oh, you shared it with a third party, well, now we can get our hands on it. We yeah. don't need a warrant. All we need to do is to put something in the Federal Register saying that the database has a routine use, and then suddenly we can do whatever we want with it. Here's the quote from the Federal Register. It says, where there is an indication of a violation or a potential violation of the law, whether civil, criminal, or regulatory in nature, and whether arising by general statute or particular program statute, or by regulation, rule, or order issued pursuant thereto, the relevant records in the system of records may be referred as a routine use to the appropriate agency, whether federal, state, local, tribal, foreign, or a financial foreign or a financial regulatory organization, including the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network or other law enforcement and government entities as determined by FHFA to be appropriate and that are changed with the responsibility, oh, excuse me, charged with the responsibility of investigating or prosecuting such violation or charged with enforcing or implementing a statute or rule or blah, 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 blah. Point is, if we feel like it, we can dig into your personal data. That's basically what that says there. Yep. I mean, look at those. There's been a number of articles that I didn't put in today's show, but there's been a number of articles. I think IJ, Institute for Justice, put one out there about think you haven't broken a law today, think again. Right. And there's been a book, something like you break nine laws per day. Right. We're all breaking laws all the time. We can't, There is no way for all of us to know the volume of laws that we might potentially be breaking. So any pretense at all, it looks like, could be used to get into this database of personal information about you. And they will target certain individuals and certain groups. 
Naturally. Now, it says also the regulators might release records to, quote, any individual during the course of any inquiry or investigation conducted by the FHFA or in connection with civil litigation if FHFA has reason to believe that the individual to whom the record is disclosed may have further information about the matters related therein and those matters appear to be relevant at the time, blah, 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 which means they can use this database as a takeoff point and integrate it with information that they haven't quite incorporated into their huge database yet. You know, they're just getting into this process of creating what I and many other commentators have now been calling the panopticon. And it just uh, harkens back to something that Jeremy Bentham envisioned when he was writing back in the 1800s, I believe. 1800s, Bentham, or was he 1700s? I'm I, I'm blanking right now. Look up look up Bentham for me. 1800s. I think it was 1800s myself. Mill and Bentham. Bentham was before Mill, but Bentham envisioned this panopticon, and he thought that you could design a prison. You've got one prison guard in the middle, and then you have radiating out from that center room, kind of a circular room. You have radiating out all these spike hallway, hallways. So imagine it's a circular construction, there's a circular room in the middle, and then there's uh, 1791, so it was late 1700s. Yeah, I knew I was, like, at least I should be concerned. Yeah, so the Panopticon is seven, 1791? Or? So the um, elevation section planned by Jeremy Bentham's Panopticon. 1791, yeah, so late 1700s. By so, yeah, so Mill is 18th. Okay, so anyway, so the, the hallways come out from that. And the person who's in the center can just kind of turn his head a slight angle and see down the next hallway and the next hallway and the next hallway. And he can watch you know, constantly all the time the activity of all the people who are in cells at the end of all these various hallways. So he can keep his eyes on all these prisoners at one time. And that's what the databases are doing now. The databases are creating a virtual panopticon such that federal agents, Looking for criminals. Or I mean, looking just, for people who disagree with yeah, the current regime, yeah. right? But, but, they, no, but, no, but they see them as criminals, is what I'm saying. Right. If, if you disagree with us, whoa, you must be something must, must think about you. We've got to get you. Potential criminals. You're a potential yeah. criminal. So they can watch you all the time through all of the data that they're tracking on you. One thing you can do right now, apparently Facebook is rolling out some new targeted ads whereby Facebook is tracking things that you do outside of Facebook in order to better sell you things, given that we have the third-party doctrine, even if you don't mind targeted ads, you might try to opt out, use standard opt-out provisions to get out of these things. Now, I don't know if that helps you vis-a-vis the government or if it just makes the, the ads are not being exposed to you. They might still be tracking your information about where you are everywhere, and you might not just be targeted with the ads. Because, of course, that's the only thing we care about is that evil corporations are trying to sell us things, right? Right. right. How could we possibly object to them turning the information over to the government? Anyway, so here is Obama quietly, even though loudly he's saying, oh, you don't like the bulk metadata collection, you know, from the cell phones and stuff. Oh, you, we're, we're on a path to ending that. Mm-hmm. And everyone gets happy and they just say, oh, we're, you know, this is wonderful, fantastic strides are being made. At the same time, quietly, but not so quietly, thanks to Investors Business Daily, Obama's giving orders to go ahead and collect 
and search and use more and more personal information about us until we get rid of that third-party doctrine and all of this is put under the protection of the warrant requirement of the Fourth Amendment, we're not going to be safe. So anyway, my two cents. So I think I was right there. Uh, unfortunately, it was proven. I don't want to be right about this stuff necessarily. Uh, another thing that I'm right about, and I'm actually pleasantly surprised about this one, is that Apple is making plans to protect our privacy more vigorously. And the headline from the Washington Post story this week is, Apple praised for plan to undermine extensive system that secretly tracks customers. Praised by Obama, right? Right. And if you and if you if you read yeah praised by Obama no he hates this because it's going to cut down on the information he can get. What Apple has done apparently there is a system that can track you if you are bringing your cell phone into a shopping mall, and you are letting your cell phone grab on to the various wireless networks that are available to you in the mall or in different places in the store. I mean, one huge department store might have five different little wireless networks that it uses to track you as you're walking through the department store. And they'll say, hmm, they spent a lot of time at Ladies Perfume. Ooh, and then they went over to Snowshoes and, you know, whatever, whatever they were doing. So they want to sell you stuff. But once this information about you is in their database, it's another bunch of information that the government can sweep up just by Obama's pen and a phone tomorrow. And so it's good for Apple to go ahead and and erect protections. So what Apple's going to do with its iPhone is make it so that these sort of software systems are not going to be able to track you. What I often do anyway as I leave a house is I turn off the Wi-Fi stuff because it annoys me. I can't pick up the Wi-Fi signals anyway, so... I just I end up turning it off. But if you're not in that habit, then you might go ahead and check this out and just be happy. Another another reason to be happy if you own one of Apple's products. I was happy. I was able to tell Apple I appreciated this personally yesterday because I was talking to the iOS developer help desk uh, because soon I'm going to be releasing an app. And I just wanted to, while I was on the call, express my appreciation for the fact that Apple cares about our privacy um, and she seemed to appreciate it but she was like that's a little bit off topic I got to get to the next uh-huh. customer did it anyway anyway we're going to have a short break here and we'll be back Okay, one bumper executed sort of smoothly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, the intro was, <laughs> I don't know. It is Friday the 13th. That's my excuse all day long today. I have to have an excuse every week. State Defiance over here in the chat room at Blog Talk Radio says, did they collect Obama's college records and Kenyan birth certificate record oh. data? Probably not. I wonder who is exempt, you know? Right. Members of Congress apparently aren't exempt. None of us. I guess are those who are collecting the data are exempt. 
maybe even they aren't exempt because they have a very patriotic sense of uh, duty to keep their data in there. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, they know the ways that you can tweak your lifestyle in order to avoid some of the data collection and still live a life. That's the thing that I think is such a challenge is to live a full life, taking advantage of all that technology and specialization has to offer, and yet at the same time not subject yourself to all of this third-party data collection that is going on, as we just saw from this story, at an increasing rate. Uh, Waldo, in the chat room, if I have just read there, has said, late 18th century Bentham, that's right, late 18th. So, you want um, to talk about the sponsor, or that's, that's for internal time because I'm up with the... Oh, you want to talk about the Audible? No. Yeah, let's, let's talk enough? a little bit about Audible. Many, many of you know that our sponsor here on Blog Talk Radio is Audible, and if you want to get a free trial, you go to audibletrial.com forward slash Amy Peikoff. And that's A-M-Y-P-E-I-K-O-F-F. A conversation that Bosch and I have been having this week is about the readers for Atlas Shrugged on Audible. And he's going to play you a little clip from the Scott Brick version. Yeah. Go ahead and play us a few seconds of that. Oh, here we go. Sorry. Here's some volume. The flight choke sound from Eddie Willers was his suppressed desire to cheer. James Tagger did not answer at once. Dagny. Why don't you sit in the chair as one is supposed to? He said at last. His voice was petulant. Nobody holds business conferences this way. I do. Okay, so that was the Scott Brick version. And you say you have a similar clip. I have the exact clip. The exact clip. But you missed the first few. I missed the first few. Okay. But it's fine. From Christopher Hurt? From Christopher Hurt. This is Christopher Hurt's version. Okay. I've ordered the rail from Reardon Steel. The slight choked sound from Eddie Willers was his suppressed desire to cheer. James Taggart did not answer at once. Dagny, why don't you sit in the chair as one is supposed to, he said at last. His voice was petulant. Nobody holds business conferences this way. I do. It's just, you know, the Scott Brick, and uh, I was reading online, and uh, people can't stand him. And a part of me... uh, a listener to the show named Steven said that uh, basically the Scott Brick is driving him mad, and he's driving me mad too, and I had to stop listening to his version. I just wanted to make it clear why I had to, I had to stop listening. His Dagny speaks like this. Right, right, exactly. Daniel says he loves Scott Brick. I'm sorry, Daniel. Uh, it's terrible. Dagny whispers throughout the novel, and you've got to put the audio rule out to hear every note to, to hear her, right. and it's, it's, just not, it's just not good. It's just not well done. And his voice technically is better, is more masculine, whatever, but Christopher is so much better. we got to go to the break, and we'll be right back. Okay, I could just keep listening to that song. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Can I just, just follow up about that for one second? Okay, so over the break there, we were just talking about the Scott Brick versus the Christopher Hurt Versions. recordings yeah. of 
Unabridged Atlas Shrugged. Unabridged Atlas Shrugged, yes. On, on Audible. Yeah, Christopher, when I first heard his version, I thought his voice was a little high, and I was like, well, you know, but he's, he, he, he enunciates very well, he's very well-spoken, and he acts the characters very well. Scott Brick, on the other hand, has this, re- it's like it's really, it's just, it sounds like an elitist snob. And when he's, when he, when he's, when, when he's speaking as Dagny, he whispers. And it's just annoying. It's just unlistenable. And uh, uh, as Steve said uh, in, in, a, in a message, uh, it's driving him mad. And I think it might be part of it. You never know. You never, maybe they put this guy who drives readers mad on Atlas Shrugged to make people to discourage them from listening. I'm not joking. Who knows who, you know, what people are behind these things and what they're thinking. I'm in the chat room. I'm with a whole bunch of numbers. I can't uh, say those, but it says he did play a Vulcan in the Star Trek series. Is that right? Yeah. Well, he speaks like a Vulcan. <laughs> and Waldo says agreed about elitist snob. It really does. It just it comes off like that. And Christopher Hurd is a lot more vibrant, a lot more um, alive. And uh, and you know what? And there's also a, a minute pass between Christopher Hurd's version. I think uh, Scott Brick's version is a lot longer. Which tells you something right there also. He's drag drawling it out, you know what I mean? It's pretty funny. A minute longer. So, but mostly it's the fact that Dagny appears in Audible to you is kind of weak. It's supposed to be Audible books. Can you believe I did that? Yeah, no, Dagny's a powerhouse. Dagny's a powerhouse, and she has to, you can't go on there and say, hey, I'm Dagny. No, but you have to bring some life into her voice, into her. Uh, and he doesn't do that. Scott makes it like a little lady who's just... Uh, it's like, what? Daniel, and he makes her sound arrogant. Daniel in the chat room says, I am the only Scott Brick fan, but <laughs> I will stand my ground like a Spartan. And he says, you're wrong, Bosh. <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe Daniel's got to get his ears fixed. Something, you know what I mean? Something has to be done, you know? If you want to chime in on this or anything else, you can call us at 760 760- Eight 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 five eight one seven, or just continue to chime in here in the chat room. Daniel says, she's M- not M- says all. you're not the only fan of Scott, so. Okay. So that, Daniel, this is the way uh, uh, Scott Brick would read your uh, text right there. She doesn't sound weak at all. That's how he would read that at Agnew. Or she doesn't sound weak at all. It's just really annoying, man. I couldn't do it. You know, maybe different strokes for different folks, you know, and, and that's maybe the cool thing about No, okay, technically, uh, Brick has a better voice, technically speaking, than Christopher Hurt. Christopher Hurt uses it far better and uses it a little more aggressively with a little more life into it. And you need that for Atlas Shrugged. You need that. It's 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 thousand pages long. I mean, it's how many hours is it? Hours and hours. Fifty hours? Right, right. Okay, well, everybody can decide for themselves. They can, if you haven't already subscribe to Audible, go to audibletrial.com forward slash Amy Peacock, and you can sign up for your free trial with a free Atlas Shrug. But what we're recommending you do is you listen to whatever samples they offer there first before deciding which one you want, because it looks like it's a matter of opinion here in the chat room. Daniel says, there's an undertone of intensity in no. Scott Bricks Dagny, and that you can hear her disgust with Jim. Well, it has such a, such a deep undertone uh It'll never surface, you know what I mean? It's so deep, I can't even notice it, you know? That's how deep the, the undertone is. <laughs> you guys are so bad. Terrible. Okay, we, ha- we are going to get behind here, and I'm, I'm actually surprised that Daniel isn't already on my case to move along because we have a huge list of stories over at DontLetItGo.com, and we want to continue on that. We started on privacy. We're basically, I'm just saying, yeah, I, I told you so, which is kind of a boring thing to say, but mm-hmm. when it's some issue that's in, as important as this, uh, let's have a little bit of fun here. I think it's the schadenfreude isn't bad if the person who 
we're gloating over is a terrible rat. Yeah. Hillary Clinton is having a terrible, terrible week this week. Yeah. And the latest story is this one that Bosch sent me this morning. It's from Breitbart.com. And Hillary is avoiding the press. She says that she has a deal not to answer questions. With whom? Yeah. A deal. Right. The New Deal? <laughs> the new New Deal? It says, during her book tour, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton claims that she has a deal not to talk to reporters <laughs> who are not pre-screened. I mean, what is this? Yeah. Protect me, protect me, protect me. I'm going to be president. Don't ask me why. I mean, here is the thing. She supposedly is going to be running for president, right? Yeah. Well, she's she's been running for president for the last two decades, I think. Right. Oh, my gosh. You're talking to Siri. Yay. Siri is butting into our radio. Uh, maybe that's the NSA, actually. Hello, NSA. We forgot to say hello to the NSA. They, were, they are My deal with offended. her is I don't, I don't answer questions. I didn't ask her questions. It just popped up. You have a deal with Siri? Yeah, yeah Siri asks you, yeah. and you say, I don't answer? Yeah. Okay, yeah. NSA, you can call in, 760-888-5817. You don't have to go through Bosch's Siri over here the way you just did. Um, so Hillary Clinton, supposedly running for president, and yet she's not going to answer questions. She doesn't want to answer. Imagine what kind of campaign, carefully scripted. He got it. State State Defiant says, Hillary is intentionally having bad press to take the emphasis off of her cankles. You know it's true. No. Here's the thing. Okay, so I went to UCLA for undergrad, and, and I started out doing a little bit of grad school stuff there in civil engineering. And then I went over to law. But when I was there at UCLA, the Clintons came for an appearance in person. So I saw Hillary Clinton's legs in person, and they were horrible way back when. I don't even want to know how many years ago that is. That is terrible. The the kind of the because you know again you know well well, that's why she always wears pants now. It is, but. You know, we as women, we expect that thigh is going to jiggle a little bit. You know, it's really hard to get, like, a super solid thigh, and you really don't want that. It's not feminine, okay? But for the calves to, like, be complete jello or worse than jello, like some sort of non-congealed tapioca or something, which is what her calves look like to me <laughs> with the cankle. It's like ca- you, you can't even tell, like, there was no shape to them. It was horrible. And I was thinking she wasn't that old at the time. This is a while ago. And... Why would she let herself not have any physical shape? I'm one to talk. I need exercise right now. I'm, I'm going to stop on this topic. But in any event, I don't know why she's doing this. Probably because she doesn't want to be asked about Benghazi, which is what our next link over at DontLetItGo.com is about. And one thing also, just one thing about that. Uh, the State Department uh, found out in the moment live you know, Benghazi, that, that the terrorists were using their phones. The state, so they knew the terrorists were talking to other terrorists about that attack. Right. They lied their asses off. Yep. The, ter- and, the terrorists uh, were using State Department phones. Hillary Clinton's State Department's phones. Right. Right. Exactly. So let's listen to Hillary Clinton on Benghazi. Diane Sawyer basically made mincemeat of her. Let's see if this works. Guys like oh, things. we're getting an ad, so I'm going to save you from the ad. But I, I love this. And, and this was all over all the news media this week, in case you missed it. But uh, Greg Gutfeld had some good stuff to say about it as well. Now, let's see if we're actually going to get a news clip here and not an ad. Now, Benghazi. We have talked to experts and historians who say this fractious issue could be decisive, making the difference in any Hillary Clinton campaign, raising challenging questions about leadership in a crisis. 
After 13 hearings on the topic, 25,000 documents have been released. The fierce debate over responsibility rages on. So we begin now. On that night, her friend, Ambassador Chris Stevens, and three other Americans... Okay, I'm going to try to forward to where she is. Ambassador on the night of September... Oh, God, it's, it's, they're going to do the whole thing, and then they're going to ask her. As he I, want to, I want to see where we ask her. Not, we don't want to go over that again. Did you miss it? Did you miss the uh, moment this is it. to prevent this from happening? No, but I think as the independent board that investigated every aspect of this, including all the cables, uh, concluded, there was uh, a lack of appreciation and response to the level of threat. Now, there were a lot of... By you, too? Well, no, that was never brought to me. She says she did not see that August cable but she relied on her staff, the security professionals, to do the job. Is there anything you personally should have been doing to make it safer in Benghazi? Well, what I did was give very direct instructions that the people who have the expertise and experience in security... Well, well that is personal, though, Diane. It's, I mean, I am not, um, I'm not equipped to sit and look at blueprints. Um, to determine where the blast walls need to be or where the reinforcements need to be. That's why we hire people who have that expertise. This is the ARB. Mm -hmm. The mission was far short of... Okay, I'm, I'm going to stop that there. Do you remember, Bosch, that there was a little tiny excerpt, and I think it's going to be earlier than this, but this, the scrolling on this video yeah, is not allowing so me to see when it's her versus Diane Sawyer waxing expansive. So um, there's a little clip, and Sawyer asks her, basically if, if she is at fault and she says I accept responsibility mm -hmm. that's the new politician's line but yeah. I didn't have anything to do with the security decisions so she's saying I accept I'm, responsibility I and accept I don't res accept responsibility right at the same time yeah. so A and non-A which is what is Obama what she does answered. which is what she does and it was that portion of the interview that A and non-A I accept responsibility yeah. but it wasn't my fault yep. that people have just been railing her about all week she just basically was just leave me alone is what she's saying, and uh, you, you can't leave her alone on this. M in the chat room over here at Blog Talk Radio is saying that this reminds him or her of something right out of Atlas Shrugged. I'm not going to say what it is because it's kind of a spoiler there. And actually, M, maybe just don't look at M's comments if you haven't read Atlas Shrugged. But there is some buck passing, we'll just say, yep. in Atlas Shrugged that is quite reminiscent yes. of what Hillary Clinton was doing right there. And the buck passing in Atlas Shrugged has significant consequences and also they were, for human life. You know, uh, um, uh, Chris Stevens, the ambassador, and others were begging for help. Right. They said something's going on here. We need some help. But they did not do anything. They didn't. They didn't buttress their uh, their security at all, and so they they knew that something could happen. And on 9/11, they didn't get any extra help. September 11, right. which is they're always threatening to do something on 9/11. They celebrate 9/11 by killing us again. And this, um, you know what, didn't do anything about it. And she has no remorse about it. You could tell she's almost smiling while she's talking. You know, she's trying to maintain this thing that I'm just a happy girl. First of all. She, we know she's a miserable human being. Look who she's married to. Uh, you know, well, uh, and he, he always cheats on her every single day. I mean, she, you know that. She might be on. I mean, I and I don't want to psychologize about it. Well, this, she's on drugs, she, probably. She, but she's she's got a script that she's putting out there, and she's doing a and non a in her script, and she thinks she's going to get away with it. And the question is, are the American people smart enough? 
to see that she's saying a and non a at the same time. And you know, look at this. She says now she's going to take questions only from the vetted reporters. She has, well, she has. And and my point is, is that that obviously isn't going to help her because you tell me a world in which Diane Sawyer is not a vetted reporter for a liberal politician. Diane Sawyer probably was a water carrier, right? Oh, no doubt about it. And no now it. even the liberal reporters are not to. safe for these. She also tells her, look, can I do it now instead of the, when the actual election happens? Let me do it now and say, on record, I, I went after you. Then after that, we'll go easy on you. I mean, who knows how these rats play it? But the worst thing that happened to Hillary Clinton was uh, Barack Obama. Eight years of this crap. Even the most idiotic Americans will look at that and say, That's, it's been a bad eight years. Right. And she will continue those eight years. I mean, there, there, will be, there will be no change, no hope. M in the chat room is, says, him, call me Mo for short if you want. That's what I should do. I should say, hi, Mo. And I've seen Mo in the chat room before, but I think it's maybe been a little while since we've interacted. So welcome back. Very cool. So in, on this topic of Hillary, we've got actually a little bit more about it, but we're going to have to get through some other unpleasant news stories, real news stories. I don't see Hillary Clinton as a big news story no, absolutely yet. Absolutely not. Because I'm, I'm still not convinced that she's even going to be able to successfully right. run. Right. And, and she'll have her challengers. In the Demo- no, Biden <laughs> actually right. thinks he can run again and win. Let him. Please put a hundred dem- Democrats out there. You know, the precedent has been set. If Anthony Weiner can take himself seriously enough to run after <laughs> right. all that horrible stuff. He might even run for president. Then why can't you know I mean? Hillary or Biden or anybody else? So I guess they, they'll probably run. But well, you know, I, I just, the, the one thing is they can't see reality seriously, so therefore they can't see themselves seriously. So they actually think they can run for president. And when they look at Obama winning, that, that's what gives them hope. Say, a guy mm-hmm. that terrible can win president? Well, why can't I? Let's talk a little bit about what is going on in Iraq right now. And actually, I was really impressed with a discussion that Brooke Goldstein was having about this last night, I believe. And she was on with Megan Kelly. So if you'll indulge me here for a second, I'm going to go over to Brooke Goldstein's page and pull up that clip that I watched earlier today. She basically gives you a good rundown of the facts on the ground. Here we go. We are learning more about this al-Qaeda offshoot that now reportedly controls nearly a third of Iraq. The commander of this al-Qaeda spinoff now controls the world's wealthiest terrorist group. They just stole $400 million from an Iraqi bank, which they went in and seized. Some are even calling him the new bin Laden. Today, Republican lawmakers warned that man could soon order a terror attack on our soil if the U.S. doesn't make some serious policy changes and fast. The ISIS have as part of their agenda to attack our homeland. The next 9-11 is in the making. Brooke Goldstein is a human rights attorney and director of the Lawfare Project. Do you believe that, that it's that bad, the next 9-11 is in the show. making? Former guest on the you show. You know, I have to say, the comparison between uh, al-Baghdadi and... That's this bad guy heading Right, up. of ISIS, the new the head... Um, and Osama bin Laden is quite an apt one for every reason that Mark said is that basically ISIS has now been re- resurrected from the dead because of the void that we left um, in 2011 in Iraq and because Syria is now a training ground and a recruitment dr- ground. And if we learned anything from 9-11, 
We know that all you need is an American passport, access to within our borders to be able to carry out an attack. Mm -hmm. And we are seeing now, you know, Americans, American citizens, European citizens, Canadian citizens are now being recruited to train along ISIS, along other Al-Qaeda-affiliated groups in Syria. We had the first American suicide bomber in Syria. The attack on the Jewish Museum in Brussels was carried out by a, a jihadi who was trained in Syria. So they are now coming home, and God forbid we should have another 9-11. But if we don't take ISIS seriously for the threat that it is, a theologically motivated threat that wants to wage war against the West, that is threatening now Jordan, they're starting to invade Jordan and, and, and kill uh, the king there. The you know, you can, king. And you can only imagine what their plans are for Israel. They've, or, they've stated what their plans are. We don't have to imagine they've threatened to in, invade Gaza and Lebanon. Jordan is now calling for immediate American military assistance to secure its borders. But if we weren't willing to provide assistance to Iraq, where we've thrown $15 billion to train the Iraqi security forces that we've been misled to believe are uh, capable mm -hmm. of defending themselves. Why would we be willing to help Jordan? You know, but you look at this, this group headed by this very mysterious guy. He's not like some of the other al-Qaeda leaders. He doesn't like to be seen on camera. He's, he maintains a disguise. His whereabouts are unknown. He's not a flashy guy. He's about 42 years old, we're told. Um, but, you, but you look at their tactics, Brooke, and they're so brutal. It's, I don't want to get into the details, but it's as brutal as you could possibly imagine. I, you have to feel for the Iraqi police force, which is, I mean, they are not prepared morally for Correct. The, the type of beheadings and being shot down in the street. I'm going to go ahead and pause it right there. Um, and you, just, you can watch the rest of this clip. There's another minute and a half or so. I highly recommend go check it out. Go to Brooke Goldstein's page on Facebook, and she posted that clip today. It's a clip up on YouTube. She is excellent. She's excellent. If, if you notice, Megyn Kelly was bringing in some things that were not quite mm -hmm. as relevant in the background, whether he's flashy, whether he wants to be on camera or not. Or, I mean, maybe that can make him less stupid, you know, easier, I mean, harder to catch, et cetera than bin Laden, who liked to appear on camera. But that, this is non-essential stuff. I did like the fact that she says, okay, it's so brutal, I don't even want to yeah. get into it. But here's Brooke basically saying exactly what's going on, that we had left this burning ember not squashed out in the past, and now they've gotten all this power. I think they've taken about a third of the country. Um, they stand to maybe go to Baghdad we have a huge embassy in Baghdad, and I, I learned a lot from reading Tammy Bruce's column today. Tammy Bruce has a column over in the Washington Times, and she, uh, you got the link at my blog at don'tletitgo.com to that, but she was pointing out the fact that basically, who knows, there's a bunch of Americans there. Um, it's a $700 million embassy. It's supposedly our biggest and most luxurious embassy in the entire world. Why are we doing that? In a hellhole? In a hellhole. It's a, it's a huge mess. And, and what Brooke ends up ending this clip with is basically saying we can't have this non-engagement policy because these guys are serious. They're going to come after us. They're going to come after Israel if we don't do something. And then the question is, what do you do? You know, some people who are sort of more altruistic in nature or maybe people who just say, look, we had all of these troops on the ground in Iraq, and if you just go in there and make it into a parking lot, that is going to look really bad in terms of our prior involvement. It's a really sticky situation. What do you, what do you think, Bosch? 
I'm thinking of another kick-ass woman, Monica Crowley, who says something. Look at these about kick-ass this. women, right? I'm a, I'm a woman. I work for a woman sometimes. Tammy Bruce, who kicked some butt. We've got Brooke, who's been a guest on this show. Ryan she kicked Rand, some Diana butt. Shelley, Ryan Rand has inspired this show. She kicked some butt. Here's Monica Crowley Avon on Warner, the Frank Warner's thread. wife, Pigman's uh, wife. This what? is fictional. Come oh. on, let's go. So go ahead and Here. you. Oh, oh, you want to yeah. plug it in that way? Okay, Check out what Monica Crowley said in, in uh, regarding the Bergdahl case and the enemy that we're facing. Okay. Monica Crowley on Sean Hannity. Monica Crowley, I interviewed the platoon medic yesterday, and the platoon medic told me that it was worse than this. It was it was six dead soldiers, but many other injuries. Some of the injuries were some guys that lost their legs and their arms, their Humvees, even though they were up up loaded Humvees, they were still getting blown up. Um, and they're not telling the families what happened here? You know what, at the end of Saving Private Ryan, when they locate Private Ryan, they say to him, we lost a lot of guys looking for you. The difference is Private Ryan in the movie was a hero, unlike this guy who's a deserter and possible traitor to his country. The parents who should have been in the Rose Garden with the president are sitting right here. The parents who lost their sons in the line of fire looking for this guy. And the truth is that we are in a holy war. This is a holy war. Whether we want to see it that way or not, whether it's politically correct to say it or not, this is the truth. And the enemy gets a veto. They get a vote as to whether or not we're still in this war. So this commander-in-chief can come out publicly and say repeatedly, the war is ending, it's over, we're bringing home our guys. The enemy has a vote on this. And this jihad will be perpetual until the infidel is done, gone, killed, or in submission. That is the truth of the other side. We're in this holy war not because I'm saying it, but because the enemy is saying it. We have a U.S. soldier who by all accounts now looks like he has turned and is now fighting that holy war on the other side. He better be held to account. We're going to see what happens. Excellent. Wow. Truly, and, and it reminds me of one thing that I really liked about the uh, Goldstein clip here, and that's that Goldstein pointed out that they are theologically yes, motivated. that was excellent. That was a big standout. She makes a point of saying, yes, this is a religion. It is a bad, horrible religion that has... As Monica Crowley just said as well. ...that has not been reformed or moderated throughout the centuries. That can't as be. You can't moderate it Other religions. You can't... Yes. Uh, you know, there was the Crusades and all this stuff, but right now... Which was a response the to the jihad. religion in the world that is motivating the most brutal violence, so much more of it of late over in Iraq now, it's, it's Islam. So, anyway. You know, with, with infidel weaponry, they can, you know, they could do endless uh, horror, commit endless horror. So kudos to these brave women who have been out there on Fox stating the truth. I'm, I'm very impressed with that. Let me get back over to my endless list of links at don'tletitgo.com. It seems endless, right? There's one article, and apparently Obama slipped and used the right term. Over, over here in the chat room of Blog Talk Radio, Mo and others, I think, also have been pointing out the fact that we have called, recently in this country, we have called terrorist strikes, workplace violence, yes. particularly the Fort Hood massacre, That's was Obama. called an instance of workplace violence. And yet, recently, Obama has called the people who are fighting... He called the jihadists uh, jihadists, which yeah. is shocking. It might be a first, and it will definitely be last. So, I mean, that was notable. But more disturbingly, the stories that are coming out, including this one, uh, they're talking about a little feature talk that where where was this he was talking I don't know. 
there's some interview that he's being given here right now because he's sitting down. In any event, what he's saying is that he wants to, in effect, put together a slush fund mm-hmm. and get some other people in the Middle East to fight the bad guys that seem to be the bad guys at the moment. And let's not ourselves really get involved in this. Let's go ahead and give money and materials to the other. And that always leads to disaster. The most recent disaster of which, of course, is what's going on in Iraq right now. And as Tammy Bruce points out in her column, one of the things that this ISIS group in Iraq has been able to do now is capture the equipment that we gave to the Iraqis to supposedly keep the peace for themselves over there. So once again, the money and materials and everything else is ending up in the hands of the bad guy, and it needs to stop. You can't have Obama saying that he hasn't learned this lesson. And why will the Iraqis go after Islam's heroes, the jihadists? What incentive do they have? Right, right. None. Right, exactly. I know. Anyway, we're about to go into a break here, and let me see if I can get my music started. We will be right back after the top of the hour. I'm in here for the break. We are flying solo a little bit for the break time. I've got Mo in the chat room saying that we still don't know the motive for the 2013 Navy Yard shooter. That would be good to know. Steve in the chat room has shared a link if you want to go check it out over here at Blog Talk Radio. It says the guy in this video has made it his job to tell this true story of the Islam and the West. So definitely go check that out if you are interested and you're here listening live. State Defiant says that when we have the next terrorist strike, Obama will declare martial law. And I don't know if exactly that is true, but what I do know is there is a story that was going around earlier this week that Obama praised a program in Australia that consisted of confiscating automatic weapons. And when, you know, a country... Here we are right now. We've got Obama, a president, who says, oh, Congress doesn't do it. I just got my pen and my phone and, you know, no big deal. I'll just uh, make it happen. He's praising a plan in which weapons are confiscated, and we seem to keep having these shootings that he can use as a pretense to do it. That gets kind of scary. Um, if you, I don't know if you would use a terrorist strike as a pretense to do that, but would you do it for declaring martial law? I don't know. They're using it as a pretense right now to, in effect, have us all in the panopticon. We're all in the panopticon right now. We're all in this virtual prison in which they can watch us all the time. And, and right now, I mean, you know, this, this is, again, going back to the point before. Right now, we're in a situation where our government can and does initiate force 
against perceived dissenters. Tea Party, right? The Tea Party supporters were audited at a rate of 10%. That's Something, what they found? Yeah. Yeah, at a rate of 10%, which yep. is much higher than the average IRS tax audit rate. So things are happening based on a person's expressed ideology that the government is being able to find out by collecting all this information about us. So not necessarily martial law, but well, they're, going, they're going after the pro-private sector individuals. This and, and they're, they're targeting those who are against big government, not government, but against big government. Right, right. Now here we're in this kind of bonus segment that the Blog Talk Live listeners get to listen to over at Liberty Express Radio. They're not hearing all of this stuff, but I was going to talk a little bit about we've, Bosch and I have this project that we have been waiting for literally for years. Years. And we did get information. God, Siri keeps bugging into our conversation. Is this the NSA again? We've got you. Panopticon. We're watching you. I <laughs> But this project is very close, I think, to finally happening. Now, I would say with fair certainty that within about two months, we should yeah. be able to announce yep. this very exciting project. And we will announce it likely on this show. Probably. I think we're going to save it for the show. Yeah. It's a big enough announcement. Maybe we'll do a video. Maybe, maybe we will. Again, go check out that video at YouTube and yeah. subscribe to my YouTube Why channel not? if you want more videos. We'll do Why not? Videos. Let's do that. And on the show. And social media in every way. My, my blog, your blog, I mean. We, we, won't, we won't keep announcing it as long as we've been waiting for the project. Let's yeah, make a deal exactly. not to do that, okay? <laughs> we'll announce every day for three, four, five years. Yeah. That's right. It's, uh, I can't wait to announce it. I'm about to right no. now. Okay. I want to. I've been dying to announce it. It's so exciting. I totally don't blame you, but no, we cannot do it. Uh, very strange. So, um yeah, we get some interesting comments over here in the chat room at Blog Talk Radio. In terms of Obama and what's, what's been happening, I just uh, his his State Department, John Kerry, Obama's State Department, um, they want to work with uh, Iran to help, you know, be more constructive about uh, Iraq. And right. uh, I wrote, I said the the, the needless in chief and his gang have quote unquote encouraged Iran to play a constructive role in Iraq unquote. So I write, so the greatest state sponsor of terrorism on earth, Iran, the land of death to America, can be, quote, unquote, encouraged and can be constructive. Do they also think that the Tea Party could play a, a constructive role in America? They want to work with those who want us buried. To what I, end? I always love that, that, that they'll work with our true enemies. Yeah. And the Tea Party, which is actually the closest true political ally to yeah. the Founding Fathers today, they... They are the enemy. They are the enemy. They are yeah. the terrorists, according to them. But that needs to end pretty soon here. Okay, so we are towards the end of this break here. I need to get my music going again, right? Let me see if I can finagle this. Nope, here we go.
Hi, you are listening to Amy Peekoff. This is the second hour of Don't Let It Go Unheard. The was it June thirteenth, Friday the thirteenth of two thousand fourteen. I've got cartoonist Bosch Boston here in the studio with me again for the second hour of the show. Go to don'tletitgo.com for all the stories that we are dedicatedly trying to get through and discuss today because we think they are important enough and worth your time. So again, don'tletitgo.com. Join in in the chat room over here at Blog Talk Radio. You can also call in and speak to us if you like. The number is 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. In the first hour, we were discussing privacy issues, of course, in connection with my first YouTube video. If you missed it, go check it out. And a little bit about Hillary, just obligatory schadenfreude stuff that we... <laughs> schadenfreude is not bad if the target is a horrible person. And then some very sobering news about the consequences of Obama's foreign policy and the results in terms of what ISIS is doing in Iraq. And I think, I mean, what would you do right now, Bosch, if you were president and ISIS is doing what they're doing? Would you just level it yeah. like a parking lot? I, I say, where are they? What area are they around? Okay. And that's it. Well, they've got, wipe a, they, them out. they've got a third of the country now. Well, wipe them out. So, Bomb them to a mass destruction what level. Do you say, what do you say to... It tells the world, um, I think we have to retire jihad. Right, right. I mean, I, I think if you take it out of context, that is exactly the right thing to do. But what I wonder is, if you do that, if you just level the place, what do you tell the soldiers, the families well, of think the about soldiers... This who served well, in you, Iraq. What do you tell them now that they've taken over? What do you tell them now that they can run something, free? I agree and, something and, and has wild. to be done. I agree something has you know to mean? be done. And I agree that... What I'm saying is there has to be a major hit against the enemy that we have not done for a dozen years. We have to hit them in a major way. I agree we have to hit them, but I don't know if we can just make it into a parking lot. And, you know, we were watching 24 this week. Yeah. And I don't want to give anything away, but one part of what's going on in 24 the new extra bonus series that we're getting right now, is they're demonstrating the targeting ability of drones. And I'm thinking, send some drones over and really do some damage, but some targeted damage. Sure. And that the reason that you might do that as opposed to just turn the whole thing into a parking lot is because we have right now in our country so many brave men and women who served in Iraq. Some people gave their lives. Their families are suffering from the loss of their dear family members. But again, and what do you tell these people if you say, okay, well, we're just going to give up the whole thing the enemy, and wash it? Yeah, but the enemy is, is more powerful than ever right now in Iraq. I know. Some, I, I, I mean, I that's the whole point. And so to not let their deaths go in vain, now, da Daniel in the chat, them. Daniel in the chat room agrees with you. And, and he says, you tell these people that a mistake was made and we're going to correct it now. Yes. If, the, if this country's past policies are an excuse not to change, then we're screwed. You can't succumb to the ideological equivalent of sunk costs. Now, what I would say, Daniel, is if I uh, agreed that you couldn't efficiently wipe out these guys using drones or other things, don't put more of our men's lives no at risk. No way. Okay? But... They're do, not worth it. You can do a hell of a lot of damage with some drones over there versus, like, send a nuke and make it into a parking lot or whatever that you could do. What I'm saying is you've got to make a, a, a major, major a counterattack that the entire Muslim world feels and says, uh-oh, they're going to come after us. And I think we have to stop 
And if, if, we, if we need to do another one, fine, we do another one and another one till they stop. World War II, they submitted because they knew they'll be utterly destroyed. And we haven't given, gotten anywhere close to that. We have sacrificed what, thousands and thousands of civilian lives, soldiers, for what? For the enemy to have a, a, a stronghold now right. in one of the countries that we went after? Right. Unacceptable. Well, and then again, what is Obama proposing? Obama is not proposing either of no. the options that we're he's talking irrational. about here. He's irrational. He's a nihilist. We're talking about... And he's pro-Islam. Right. And, and what does he want to do? He wants to work through other Muslims. Yes. And not just other, other Muslims. He wants to work through the greatest state sponsor of terrorism. Iran. Iran, who, whose calling is death to America. That's what they live off of. 30 plus years. They get a nuke. They're going to use it. They're not going to blackmail us. They're going to use it. Well, and that's the thing. I can imagine, yes, suppose we're going to give resources to Iran that's going to help us in Iraq to defeat these evil ISIS guys. And I can imagine the resources going straight into the nuclear program just as, I mean, what, where is this so-called deal with Iraq going right now? That seems to have been wiped off the news, the front page news. Yeah. Supposedly, supposedly we were waiting to have some you know, sign that they were actually complying with our demands to whether we, or not we were going to re, reinstate the sanctions. Remember, we no. forgave all the sanctions and they have access to all these billions of dollars that they didn't have access to before. Probably goes straight into the nuke program. Anyway, Obama seems dead set on continuing this farce of picking winners and losers over in the Middle East and saying, oh, well, here's one Muslim group fighting another Muslim group. Let's fund this Muslim group because they seem less bad right now. One of two things happen. That Muslim group, when it gains control, gets just as brutal and domineering as the other one when they get control. Right. So there's that. And then the other option is that that group that you have funded and trained and equipped, that group loses and then the group that is currently ravaging everything, gets all the stuff, all the goodies that you gave them. That's what's going on right now in Iraq. This ISIS group has all the assets, too. They're killing all the guys, taking all the assets, and perhaps they're going to take over our embassy. One thing that Tammy says in her column... And they're Americans. I mean, they will. Now, Now they know what they can get. Tammy kind of ties all this together in her column this week, the Hillary Clinton thing and the Taliban five who were released by Barack Obama and Iraq in her column. It's called Iraq, the Taliban five and Hillary Clinton, the danger of miscalculating the enemy. And Hillary Clinton's out on her book tour, totally ignorant of reality, refusing to speak to anybody who might call her attention to a fact of reality. She's out there doing this. And at the same time, they ask her questions like, what do you think of these five guys that Obama let be released from Gitmo? Oh, they're not a danger to us. Her answer is that they are the danger. They're a threat to the security. This is a quote that Tammy used in her, in her piece. She says, they are a threat to the safety and security of Afghanistan and Pakistan. And it's up to those two countries to make the decision once and for all that these are threats to them, end quote. That's their allies. That's their brothers. That's their brothers. Right. Right. You know, Pakistan is a state sponsor of terrorism as well. They have nukes. You know, they, they've been threatening to, to, to nuke India. Uh, Bush supposedly threatened them behind the scenes post 9-11. But they're, as, as they're our enemy, the way Iraq, the way Iran is, the way the Saudis are, that entire 
area. I mean, this is enough. We have to counterattack in a devastating way to the point where they say, okay, jihad will be just a personal struggle from now on. It won't be a holy war against the world. Right, because they're not going to have any opportunity to no. make it otherwise. And of that course, be... un- under this administration, it's never going to happen. But what I'm saying is that's the proper thing that ought to happen. Anyway, so Tammy goes on about how unrealistic Hillary Clinton's attitude is, how it reflects the pre-September 11, 2001 world of American political leadership, and that Clinton basically should know better. Um, you know, she's going around talking about leadership to reporters and other liberals, but as she speaks about that, everything is just going to hell all around the world. And then Tammy recaps the ISIS talks about what their ultimate goal is. They want to create a new country, an Islamic emirate spanning both sides of the Iraq-Syria border. Of course, get rid of Israel, all of that. Just, I mean, we said before, but Iraq is a greater danger, a greater threat to us today than it was ever under Stamassane, ever. Right, right. Um, Tammy says that Blogs of War also has a little primer on ISIS. If you want to go check it out, she links to it from her piece. And then she says they've already taken hundreds of hostages, including hostages from Turkey, the Turkish consulate in Mosul. And so she says that maybe the Turks are going to get involved. Also, the New York Times reported, you may have seen this, that the Iraqi government has asked the United States to strike the terrorist positions, and Obama has refused. That's why I'm saying our discussion here, Bosch, is academic, because Obama has refused even to use targeted Strike. But, 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 you know, but the question is, what, what, what should we do? That's the question. And this is what we should do. We won't do it. Even with a Republican in the White House, we wouldn't do this. So here's Tammy predicting the future. She says they're on their way to Baghdad. That's their likely next target. She says in Baghdad, there's another political prize to be had, the 700 million U.S. embassy, our largest and most expensive American embassy in the world. That is just sick, a paying tribute to a hellhole. Right, right. And moreover, she says, what are they going to do with that embassy? Maybe capture a bunch of Americans who are there. Because they were saying that with this Taliban 5 swap, as they call it, Al-Qaeda might be wondering how many Americans it would take to get September 11th mastermind Khalid uh, Sheikh Mohammed out of prison. By the way, Catherine Herridge, what's her name? She was on Fox and she said uh, probably one of the five uh, was in on 9-11, on the planning stages of 9-11. And it's like, of course he was. Why wouldn't they be? Yeah. So Tammy finishes up here. She says, as Mrs. Clinton lectures us about how the Taliban five are not a danger to the United States, she may want to take a look at the condition in which she left the world. Considering how close ISIS is to establishing their Islamic state of Iraq and Syria, Islamist leaders, including those we have released, will have plenty to do as they bring the fight again to the great Satan. We're going to take a call here, see who this is on the phone. Hi, who's this? Hi, this is Debbie. Hi, Debbie. Nice to hear from you. How are you doing? Hey, Debbie. I'm doing all right. How are you? Pretty good, although this is a very sobering part of our show today. Not very pleased about this. Yeah, I agree. And I agree with Bosch um, about what we should do to this ISIS group. These people, no. They're, they're not even animals. I mean, they're worse than that. There's no word for what they are. I, I saw this article last night. Uh, someone had posted on Facebook talking about the, the Nazi-like slaughterhouse these people have. It's just, it, they're, like, they're like these mini death camps that they just have. They round up like prisoners. 
Christians and other Muslims who have some minor doctrinal disagreement with them, and they cut their heads off. And, I mean, this is what is taking the place in Iraq. It's like we've turned Iraq into Iran by being so weak. We're going to now we're no. gonna have this, this republic that's going to get established there. And I, just, I agree with you, Bob. I mean, we should just blast them back into the dark ages. Although, it would almost be forward in the case of these animals. Right. It, we'd be doing them favor if we blasted them. They'd be better off. No doubt. Yeah. Now, I, I don't disagree in terms of blasting these guys. The question is, do you sort of just do an indiscriminate, whoa, turn whoa, whoa, the whole place whoa. into a no, parking no. lot? As I said, as I said, you have an idea an idea where they are. Right. And you bomb that to smithereens. And if there are quote-unquote innocents there, there's a lot of guilty civilians there also who celebrate the attacks on Israel and America. So I'm not too concerned with that, and I mean that. You have a good idea where they are, and you smash them out of this earth off the face of the earth and believing the Muslim world will look at that and gulp and say, "Uh uh-oh, the great Satan has woken up. We might have to cancel this jihad. Right. Yeah, and there were innocent people in Hiroshima, too, in Nagasaki. That doesn't make that the right to bomb It just keeps coming back for me. To what well, okay, but let me let me just. I mean, you know, I don't. We have a couple with the concept of the guilty civilian as well. I mean, we right, we, we really right. do. I'm no I'm no expert about what techniques would be best to do all this thing. I'm not either. You you might not want to use a nuke because of the fallout to allied countries, particularly Israel. I don't know where the you know the cloud would wind up. You know, there's this kind of thing, but. In terms of doing a more discriminate versus a less discriminate campaign. You might, I think, reasonably make a little concession to a more discriminate campaign only to preserve morale of our people in the military who have invested time, energy, right, had had horrible costs to pay because of their service in Iraq. And the idea that someone in the military is going to go on this mission, do all this work, and then... They're, you know, and, and, you know, go, go and mix with the non-horrible people over in Iraq. You know, the, obviously can, there's... Can I say right? something with all due respect? Go ahead. Uh, we shouldn't concern ourselves with what our soldiers... That, that's not the bottom line. The bottom line is to protect America from these savages. I agree protect that. Protect yeah. us to the point where... And you know what? Our soldiers would appreciate that. Say we, are, okay. we exist to defend America. And if that takes bombing them to smithereens and, and, and hurting, you know, the idea that we, we die for nothing, our soldiers die for nothing, no. They right. die for something, and we'll, we'll, we'll prove it now. Listen, we will take care of America. We will defend America. And uh, it's sad. It is sad, especially if these people actually had, you know, have some, you know, if, if they were there and they felt good about what they did, and, they, and then they come back here and they try to celebrate. They cannot celebrate it. They can't, but we, we our first concern is to defend this country and this enemy right now. Who knows where right. Iraq's going to go? But I, I'm I'm just talking about I'm 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 talking about if if a military guy tells me that it is possible to have two different types of campaigns that will be equally effective in wiping out these horrible ISIS people, and one of them is a little more discriminating than the other, that you might have a bit of a reason to be a little bit more discriminatory. But if you tell me, look. If we try to discriminate, we're not going to be able to wipe out these guys, and they're going to come after us. And no, I don't believe that we should. We've done sacrifice. We did that 12 right? years ago. I don't think we should sacrifice. I don't think we should sacrifice for the morale. But I think that the morale of our soldiers is a value. It's a reasonable value. How many times have you been involved in a project in your life 
that you put a lot of time and energy and effort into, and then it was just completely wiped well, out and canceled. I mean, think about this project, Bosch, that we've been waiting yeah. for for a couple of years. Suppose yeah. we find out tomorrow that it's not going to happen, and well, we terrible. have put some investment into this project already. It would be terrible, it's right? terrible, but so, at, the same time, so at the same time, our soldiers have not been allowed to do their job. They have mm-hmm. not been allowed to do their job. No, Whatever they, they did for the last decade, that's nothing compared to what they could have and should have done. So they've been uh, yeah, pig-tied. You know, what's called pig-tied? Also, what, what's called? Pig-tied or what's the word? Oh, um, hog-tied. Hog-tied. You know what? No, but <laughs> How do you been, not know your pig, <laughs> true. Your, your swine terminology? Our soldiers have been sold out. <laughs> yeah. Our soldiers have been sold out and gutted. They say, guys, go out there and pretend you're fighting this enemy and defending America. We'll, we won't, you can't go here. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. Don't worry about it. But go out there because American people want us to go out there and fight. Absolutely not. This is the time where we have to end this war. And the enemy's war. That's it. Enough of this crap. It's been going on for decades. All I'm saying is that te- technology now makes it possible. Again, I cite 24 and the drones. I don't think that they were exaggerating how precise the targeting can be. And if it's not that much more of an investment, and again, I don't believe in putting any guys on the ground in Iraq ever again. That's a lesson we've learned. No more dudes on the ground. But if we can use technology that's a little more discriminatory and be precision in targeting the real bad guys here, I'm... When does this scum enemy stop doing what they're doing? When they're killed or when they are so sure. terrified and I'm all that in they favor. can't? Anyway, that's, that's my that's only point. You have, to, you have to crush their morale. I mean, that's the whole point. Of, mm-hmm. well, you, have, you, you have to shake their faith. What you have to do is You've won the war when your enemy's will to fight is broken, when their spirit is broken, and that's, that's what determines it. And so I don't know what the answer is as to what it would take, but these guys are pretty serious, and so I think it might take a lot. But I don't know. I mean, I'm not a military expert at all. I, I, I do strongly agree with that principle, though, that you just have to break their spirit and show them that, that, that they're not going to gain anything, uh, no matter what their efforts and that they should just stop and, and move on and maybe do something a little bit more productive and put on festivals and explosives to blow themselves up. We need a dramatic, a dramatic attack, counterattack, a dramatic one that they will never forget. You know, the, the, exactly. sad thing about, the, the, the sad thing about this conversation that we're having here is that it's just so horribly academic because... Yeah, I agree. Obama's that's not going to you know, do anything like that's what we're talking about. That's why I write and draw a pigman. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I see... I, I have him do what I've been wanting to do. I mean, tell me, tell me, you guys, that you wouldn't cheer if the type of attack that I'm describing happened. Of course you would cheer. If, I mean, and, and what I think would be really cool, why not have a new kind of reality show? Why don't they make some money and then they could finance it, okay? Because they could use these drones also to film what they're doing and killing these bad guys. And I think everybody around the entire country would watch and cheer. Well, anybody good yeah. would watch and cheer if they made a, you know, with, with the quality of 24 showing the explosions. Now, Mo here in the chat room says that he has used drones, and he says they're that good, as good as we've seen on 24. He kind of laughed at me, citing 24 as evidence for anything, but he says they are that good. He says, but not, not as big of a bang as in the TV shows or the movies. Oh, well. I just, it, there, know, there were some pretty impressive we, big bangs. We could have ended this enemy in 2001, is what I'm saying. We have chosen not to. We have chosen not to. That's yeah, all. Yeah. And, How about and 1979? I, absolutely, right. absolutely right. Absolutely right. 
Without, you know, if, know. We, if we made them pay, then 9-11 would have never have happened. They, they would have been terrified to pull anything on us. Well, and that's the whole thing, too, that Tammy expresses in her column is that part of this, they have ISIS itself is likely a product. You know, the brutality, the confidence. That, that, you know, they're, the moral, the, the righteousness. The, yeah, the moral righteousness that they're expressing. All of this is a product of Obama letting them get away with all this, and and probably a proximate cause, and something that has stoked the flame even further is the Taliban swap. Yeah. So she integrates all of that in her column. I would say pretty masterfully there. You've been enjoying her columns lately too, right, Debbie? Yeah, definitely. I read that um, that particular one that you're talking about this morning, and I liked it a lot. She does a really good job of kind of integrating these different elements and making it a forceful point. So I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan of Tammy now. Yeah, no, she she does an excellent job. Anything else, uh, Debbie? The, the sound isn't the best, but I really wanted to talk to you. Uh, anything else before we let you go? Oh, well, thank you for taking my call. Um you know, if the sound isn't so good, maybe I'll just let you go. Well, tell me if there was another point that you wanted to make on any of the other stories, if you saw, before we go. Oh, okay. Well, um, just a bit more of an extension on what I had said about about crushing the enemy's spirit in order to defeat them. But what mm-hmm. I see Obama doing is the opposite. He's rewarding yes. and encouraging. Yes. And it's, again, it's that nihilism. It's not just that he's doing nothing. He's doing stuff, and he's doing stuff make it work well put absolutely no he, he definitely is he is undermining yep. us every single chance that he gets <sighs> ah i don't want to be depressed we're going to go into some other stories after the break and i think we're going to go into some stories that give us some reason to have some hope in particular the canter upset this week oh yeah so, cancer <laughs> any anything on the uh, canter upset in virginia before we let you go debbie Oh, I am just so happy to see yes. someone back at that leadership, and and the fact that there's a, 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 a someone affiliated with effectivism, albeit not perfectly, but someone yep. that's just crazy, you know, like that's just icing on the cake as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be talking about that after the break, and we look forward to talking to you again next time, Debbie. Thanks for calling. Thanks, Debbie. Yeah. Bye bye. Now, I know, Bosch, you want to be the DJ. I do. And particularly as you're looking here at my computer screen Uh-oh. and you see what's up for our little bumper music Uh-oh. going into the break here. there, I bet. I should put this here. <laughs> State Defiance in the chat room says that Obama is making the chickens come home to roost, and I'm afraid that's right. The, the problem is is that we are all paying the consequences of the chicken coming home to roost. So you're going to play some music for us, yes. Bosch? Okay, play a little music for us as we go Tell into the break. Go ahead right now. We'll do it. Okay, boss, uh, tell everybody what that was. That's the Adirs, okay. and the song is Lost in the Plot. 
Okay. So if people want to go check that Sung out. Sung by Murray Lightburn. And uh, I think they were big fans of the Smiths, and you could tell somewhat there, I think. What I need to do in the weekly show when I get, you know, for me, I just kind of keep trying to up my game every so often. And, again, people who know me well kind of know why I'm struggling with kind of taking on new aspects of what we're doing here, including the video that we just cranked out this week. Why did I put that off so long? I have my reasons. I promise they're good ones. <laughs> but um, one thing that I would like to do, in addition to, remember I upped my game some months ago, I don't know how many long months I've been doing this, where I put the program notes for the show over at my blog at DontLetItGo.com. Something else that would be good to do is actually plan all of our bumper music in advance yeah. of each show and then put so I, links, I put affiliated the... links to those songs yeah. on iTunes and on Amazon so that people can buy those things yes. and know exactly what the songs were, too. What was that song she was yeah. playing? Oh, I couldn't nope. hear them. Then you could know. Yeah. So, so I'll pick all the songs, and I'll pick moments of the songs that are the best moments, and then go from there. Right? And you'll have it in advance. Well, I guess. guess all we have to do is get you another cord like this one, and then have That's your true. phone permanently plugged in. I That's think true. I think we're set. Because I, I, I won't I, make any slip-ups. Like, uh, and and you, you, know. mean, you mean I could delegate that whole music <laughs> right. thing to you? I just have to come up with the affiliate links, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and I won't slip, do any slip-ups. Okay. You know I mean I won't play like uh, you know some? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, you said it the other day. I have what what I say about my uh, playlist. It's the that it's you brag that it's the best iTunes library ever. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. That's all. I don't have to play it up. I don't have to talk it up. Yeah, that's just a fact. <laughs> um, did, we didn't even tell them what you saved them from, right? But probably I'm going to give them a little bit of that, and then they're going to say, "Oh no, it's terrible." It's not bad, but you know, it's not bad. It's not bad. Anyway, um, I'm going to start playing that now, but. What was the other thing I was going to ask you about before we went into... Oh, the thing I was going to talk about was the app that's coming up. Many people yeah. know that I started an account on Twitter called the Ayn Rand Bot. And just this Ayn Rand Bot is the handle on Twitter. And it's kind of getting close, I guess, to 15,000, but it doesn't seem to quite ever break 15,000 followers right now. I probably need to do something to, to help that happen. But what I'm going to be doing soon is releasing an iPhone app. Yeah. So it's actually going to be an app for your phone, Iran Bot, and it's really nifty. I'm working with some people who are designing it with a very sleek, minimal user interface UI, as they call it, and I'm starting Explain to learn also what it is. different yeah. lingo. Yeah, yeah, so what the app will do is it will give you a quote a day, and you'll be able to share the quote, and it's also going to have a citation for each quote and a link to the book. So you can go get the book in the iBook store. I can't link to Amazon through an iPhone app. And it app, looks beautiful, especially yeah. the, the Icon app. It looks beautiful. Yeah, that, gee, I, I, wonder, <laughs> I wonder why you say that. I wonder why you say that. But, yeah, soon you're going to be able to feel this and see this and experience it on your own phone. I have seen it on a phone, but I haven't seen it on my it phone great. yet. And I'm very impatient about it. So that's something that I've been doing in the background. One of my many projects that I get interested in. I think too many. And that's why I've been listening to a book called Essentialism yeah. on Audible, which we'll talk more about probably next week. Anyway, we're going to go into our little bumper, and we'll see you on the other side.
Okay, here I was turning down the music before I was turning on the microphone. Yeah, that was Guns N' Roses, Sweet Child of Mine. And uh, we're here for the last segment. Amy Peacock, Flash Foston, this is Don't Let It Go Unheard. We have a few stories still to get to over at DontLetItGo.com. You can check out all the program notes for today's show. If you would like to follow in the footsteps of Debbie, our very brave caller who calls in frequently and discusses things with us on this show, thank you, Debbie, for calling. Feel free to follow in her footsteps and call 760-888-5817, 760-888-5817. We will also look at your comments over here at the chat room at Blog Talk Radio. I'm not quite as ambidextrous as I want to also get over to Twitter, whereas I do have an account called Ayn Rand Bot on Twitter. I also have a personal account, and that's just at Amy Peekoff. At Amy Peekoff, you can find me over there on Twitter. And I should just kind of check in there and see if anyone's trying to get a hold of me. No, people are just retweeting that we are on the air, so that's good. But you can find me over there, and I'm not always good at doing it during the show. What about you, Bosch? Doing what? Checking your Twitter oh, yeah. during the show. You're doing it? Oh, yeah. But, you know, I just had some Muslim try and tell me that uh, jihad means struggle and peace. And I had to, of course, set him straight. And, people have been telling then, you this all And then I can mute him. Yeah. No, so, I was able to mute him, actually. There's a thing on Twitter now called muting. You get no notifications, you get no updates, nothing. You can go to their you know, thread and see, but you, you're not bugged by them anymore, which is great. You don't have to block them necessarily. I think you can see people you block. Blocking is a very right. weird thing on Twitter in any event. I think I've arrived on Twitter now because I think Nick Cersei finally followed me. So now right. I have arrived. He's followed me for a while, but go on. <laughs> you were saying <laughs> <laughs> I've even interacted with him, and he didn't follow me. I was going, oh. and then out of the blue, maybe because I made my video. I don't know. I don't know why. Adam Baldwin follows me. He he also retweets my stuff, and we interact. He's great. Okay, yeah. so you are the the Twitter author. And Ted Cruz and some other, but whatever. Ted Cruz follows me too. Yes, after. That's awesome. He started following a lot of people early on, and I don't know yeah. anymore. Let's talk about politics since we're going into politics. Ted Cruz is potentially going to start getting some backup in Washington. We yes. saw. An unexpected upset this week, that's why they call it an upset, in Virginia. The GOP primary in which Eric Cantor, the House Majority Leader, was running for re-election, it was an upset. And some college professor by the name of David Bratt went ahead and beat him. How is that possible? How is it possible that somebody with, what, a couple hundred thousand in funding beats somebody who has like five million in funding, how does, how does it happen? Because I think uh, the uh, the constituents uh, realized that Cantor was a rat, and I think Rush Limbaugh said something where I go to Rush's site sometimes. I can't listen to him anymore; it's unlistenable. But he has good content on, on his site. He said something about his, his constituency was Obama and the Republican establishment. That's what it ended up being, and I think the people caught wind of that. I say, you know what, this guy is a piece of crap. Right. Let's get rid of him. Right. And that's and, and the the fact that this guy Brad is is better. I mean, he's a better American than uh, than that hack, than that who's uh, basically he's um, what's the word beholden to his masters, and now he's gone. But now, of course, so gonna, many of the people in Washington are beholden to yeah. big government and all of the special interests. And again, they you know, are addicted to the goodies. The Republicans in Washington, again, they don't hate Obama; they envy him. They're like, man, if I could, if I if I was in his position, if I could do what he did, that'd be amazing. They envy him. They want to be like him. Well, anyway, his career is being cut short. And I was I was just really surprised. I was kind of dumbfounded. I was listening yeah. to Tammy Bruce's show 
earlier this week, and then she broke into her regularly right. scheduled program, and live. she said, breaking news. <laughs> now, it, she she was live, but she had a plan for a bunch of stories she was going to discuss, and then suddenly she was discussing the upset. It was a shocker Virginia. because I yeah. think his guys, his pollsters told me he'd win by 30, 30 points. Right. He lost by what, 10, 11? Did he lose by 10 or 11? I think, yeah, points. I, I remember it was like 56 of, to 44 at yeah, one point, yeah. and that was when with 81% of the precincts counted. That's what I remember. And this is good. Uh, anytime one of these rats go down, it's always good for the country. It, it all also reminds them, you better watch yourself. You better watch yourself. Don't be like this guy. Really what I see this as is I see this as a strong rejection of big government and the statist quo, as uh, everyone is calling it, right? Who? <laughs> I call it that. I'm sorry. You're the only one? As far as I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah. I mean, I, I coined that. No offense, but I did. Good. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm using it on a show here with you. No, so. but I, I always use it on the show. That's what I'm saying. I, I didn't no, say I Not came everyone's up with calling it. it. I didn't say I came up with it. I do. I'm sorry, but I have to mention it. That's fine. Anyway, so that's what, <laughs> this, is, this is what people are rejecting in electing David Bratt. And I don't know that there's much more deep significance than that in that the, you know he sees himself as an opponent of the status quo, yeah. Obamacare. Some, pe- some people were saying, oh, well, maybe it's a referendum on immigration, and maybe it's his anti-immigration stance. But then there was another poll that said, no, the people who were voting uh, for him were really not anti-immigration, so it wasn't really that, that it's more the anti-big government, anti-Obamacare yes. stuff. You know, immigration is such a thorny issue today because yeah. today – when you let a whole lot of people in, that means automatic welfare and yes. other benefits and more money directly out of our pockets as opposed to mere competition for employment. Competition for employment, good. Having to give free stuff to people who come here because they're trying to get free stuff, bad. Yes. And that those two are mixed right now, I think, and people are not being clear in their portrayal of what's going to happen if and when we grant a path to citizenship or amnesty to certain people. And look at the nature of those who want or who are trying to push this hard. Also, Chuck Schumer, Obama. Why? I mean, you got to ask yourself. You can't be like pro-immigration. Well, I'll, I will side with Obama and Chuck Schumer on this. It's okay. No, 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 no. Why are they doing it? That's a big question. People have to ask themselves. Despite right. what they feel about immigration, despite what their what their ideas are about it. This is, these are bad guys. We we don't this. we don't want to grow the size of the welfare state either they do. either directly or indirectly, and that's the motive of what they yes. are doing. So it's it's very much the proper policy is open immigration, and I think a an ideal candidate would articulate that. I think to some extent Ted Cruz has yes. articulated the fact, and that he's he been is called for, a sellout by Ann Coulter and Michael Savage for it because he's 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 very nuanced about this. He's not some, oh, no, we won't do that. No, no, he says yes. And how does he put it? Yeah. Go, go ahead, go ahead. And how, how, does, how does he put it? Who? Uh, who? No. You were talking about the sellout. Or uh, how does Ted Cruz put it? Yeah, no, no, he's far more nuanced than, than his opponents. About immigration, yeah, yes. Absolutely right. Yeah, he, he says that he would very much like to increase the ability of people to be able to come here to legally work and things to work. like that. Not for and citizenship. I, I think that probably Cruz, in his ideal policy, is probably more along the lines of us, which yes. would be let's have 
open immigration for people who properly come through here and are screened, yeah. you know, screened to not be criminals, not be carrying diseases, Absolutely. that they're actually coming here to work, we're, and we're not going to be giving them any sort of benefits. Of course, Ayn Rand was against welfare benefits for anyone in the United States otherwise. Private charity, fine. But don't bring people here and then make us pay for them as well. Yeah. That this is, this is a surefire way to get people... Um, xenophobic, right, is to say that every single person that comes here from overseas constitutes a mortgage on us. And they're dreamers, and and what are we? They're dreamers, and what are we? If if you take away the mortgage aspect, okay, fine. Take away the welfare. Let them compete. I'm all for competition. That can only increase. And if you're opposed to this, you're a racist, is what you are. I mean, Bosh, you went to go get some burgers the other day, and you said that fast food is no longer fast, No. Right? It's, I mean, imagine if fast food restaurants had fast workers. Right. Imagine that. So I would, I would, I would love to They're sitting on their property. butt and slowly going, you know, it's like, what? I came here to get fast food because I need a quick move. On the, the topic of, of David Bratt winning... Dave Brad, I guess, is what people are calling yeah. him. I'm going to call him David formally. I don't know him. He is a professor who has, at times, taught Ayn Rand and also written a paper, or you know, a scholarly paper that was published yep. on Ayn Rand. He co-wrote that paper, and so a lot of people are talking up the Ayn Rand connection, either positive or negative. Yes. And something for your consideration, just to think about, is a debate that's been going on on Facebook right now. There are people who say, well. He's not an objectivist, and he has these bad ideas, including bad ideas about immigration, and so therefore we shouldn't be that happy about it. And then there are other people who say, no, this is cause for, yes, a major celebration because we are sending a clear message to the establishment Republicans right now that they cannot rest on their laurels and keep doing what they've been doing. Um, And also, you know, it's that kind of view that says we're going to take the long-term look. If you remember the Jezebel song that I opened the first hour with, if you were listening to the special blog talk only first six-minute segment, the segment was, it, the song was Long Highway. And it's, I only played it just because it's the significance. This is a long-term battle that we're fighting. And you cannot expect that right now, today, in 2014, that perfectly objectivist candidates are going to get elected. No. One, one guy I saw on Facebook made this comment. He says, if John Galt like, jumped out of the pages of Atlas Shrugged and ran for office, he'd be lucky to be elected for dog catcher right now. I don't even know if they have dog catcher anymore. People always use We that. need fellow travelers, yeah. patriots, love the country, might disagree with them on, in, in important ways with a lot of issues, but overall, they want to bring this government back to its normal size. Right. And that's what this guy wants. That's important. That is significant. So I, I cheer just for the sending the message thing. Uh, Chris Matthews has been saying a couple decent things recently. One of them I've linked to at my blog at Don't Let It Go. And then, of course, you know, within he says something terrible, but that's, that's Chris Matthews. But yeah. he's basically saying, guys, 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 we've got to respect these guys because they are coming for us. They're coming for Washington. And the and the the poll quote is, and I'm not going to play you the clip right now. We're starting to get a little short on time. He'll start to slur his words anyway. Looking down our noses at the Tea Party has got to stop. Yeah, says Chris Chris Matthews. He's also getting a little bugged by that Rowan uh, guy. Um, what's his name? Woody Allen's supposed son. Right. It's it's probably Frank Sinatra's son. But he, he was getting a little bugged by him, and he was telling him basically because I think he was trying to mock the Tea Party. Uh, this guy Rowan, that the, the the young punk. And Matthews is getting a little exasperated. He was like, I, I, look, guys, guys, they're, they're serious. You know, they took out this one major politician here. We got to take these guys seriously. 
Steve in the chat room is saying that someone called into Limbaugh's show and told how Brat came to, camp to capture people's interest. He captured the responsible people, and they talked to other people. People were dissatisfied with Cantor. And, you know, yeah. I, I would say for sure the election in Virginia this week is a case study in the fact that campaign finance reform, so-called mm -hmm. campaign finance reform, which just means limiting the yes. spending of people on campaigns, is a bunch of BS. Yep, absolutely. Uh, here you have a very sparsely funded candidate who just totally trounced an established candidate who part of the Republican leadership running for re-election, well-funded, completely demolished. Demolished. In an election. I mean, so wiped out. The, the case for campaign, campaign finance reform is refuted, yes. I would say, by that. And they should mention that. I mean, Rush and the other guys should, if they haven't. I mean, I doubt they have. I bet a lot of them have. I think you just mentioned it right now. I bet a lot of them I doubt it. This as an example against it? I don't think so. I, I think it's one of the best examples. It Ted, is. Ted Cruz might, you know, Ted Cruz is being very excellent against campaign uh, finance. Odegaard writes that Matt, uh, Chris Matthews is a poster child for uh, treating the Tea Party with contempt, though. Absolutely. He, he has been. That's the point. He's scared. And that's good. When you see a guy like that scared out of his wits, that's a good thing. Right, right. Uh, let's talk about some other – And I, so, again, overall, I take Dave Bratt as a positive sign. Yeah. I the, the fact that he's not anywhere close to some sort of an objectivist necessarily, I don't care. He's going to be better than the establishment Republicans because of the influence of Ayn Rand. Yep. And that is what we're seeing. The difference that has made the difference in the best politicians in Washington yes. right now is the influence of Ayn Rand. The best guys in Washington are – Readers of Ayn Rand. And everybody I mean, that, knows it. Everyone knows it. And, and everyone, everyone writes about it. it. Salon writes about it. NPR talks about it. I mean, it is all over the place. They are not perfect. They are the best we can expect today. She makes them better. Today. They are the best we can expect today. Ayn Rand's work is on their minds to some extent. They've been made better by it. And that is that's powerful. The, the reason I'm kind of sobered today, I, I think I'm a little tired just because of all the excitement of the week, but the other reason I was kind of sobered today was because of the horrible foreign policy news and, and what's yeah. going on in Iraq and the fact that Obama is not going to practically take up either oh, no. of the policies that we've been talking about. In fact, it seems, according to New York Times, that he's refused to do anything. So I'm seeing this good stuff in the culture, and let's get through the last couple links here, you know, the, the influence of Ayn Rand on a politician who upsets in a huge victory against the Republican establishment majority leader in the House. Yep. I mean, this is awesome. Yep. Yep. And yet, is it uh, is it going to be in time enough to save us from Obama? And that's what you really got to look at. The long march through the Republican Party is a story written by the Sultan Commission, actually posted last week before Brat won. Awesome. Okay, it was uh, posted on June seventh. But he's got the idea right, which is that we're in this for the long haul. We're not going to just win it through one battle and stuff. But there are indications that. We are on the right path, and we're organizing. The freedom there. movement is organizing itself. Yeah, you know, more and more year by year. I, I just, I just hope we're not too late. Another piece of good news this week, if anybody is willing to just take it, take it and run with it and capitalize on it. There's a story from Reason.com, and it's called "The Slow and Glorious Death of America's Worst School System." And what it is, it's a case study in why we need to abolish government schools. Abolish government abolish schools. Government I love schools. the sound of that. Abolish government schools. We need abolition, as C. Bradley Thompson keeps calling for it. And what it talks about is, in the fact, in Camden, New Jersey, the schools were horrible. The answer 
for I think well over a decade has been to pump more and more money into that school system to the point where per pupil, try to say that 12 times fast, Hmm. per pupil spending of $27,500. That's what they did. Imagine if you had that to spend on private school tuition, $27,500. I know good private schools that don't cost nearly that much. That has not helped Camden schools. They're actually going to be shutting down those schools and Schools, I, I don't know if they're charter schools, but they're schools basically that are run by private companies. So I think that they're charter schools. So it's still within the umbrella mm-hmm. of government schools, but it's run by private companies. Those are the only schools that are surviving in the right. entire Camden, New Jersey. Everybody knows that the only way to get a real education is to get out of government schools. No matter how much money they pumped into it, when they pump more money into it, it got worse. Not a surprise. Use that as a case study as much as you can to argue for the abolition of government schools because this is one huge major front in the long-term battle is K through 12. College, eh, I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm actually thinking that K through 12 is where it's at more. I think so too. Um, Other news, we've got Ayn Rand just mentioned all over the place, and I've got a couple examples here. CBS had a show called The Good Wife. I didn't watch it. Did you ever watch The Good Wife? Was it the finale of The Good Wife where they mentioned Ayn Rand? I don't know. Let me see. Let's go ahead to the link. This is at Newsbusters, and it's CBS's Good Wife ridicules Ayn Rand's books as awful with a, quote, 12-year-old's view of the world. Now, the clip that I'm going to play you here is actually cut off. At the very end, you can hear the character recommending that the uh, the one who was disparaging that's, that's, yeah. Rand, that she actually reread the book. But let me go ahead and see if we can play this. You have a lot of things, Mr. Paisley. Why do you feel so cornered? Because there are more people who want than people who have. Read Ayn Rand. Oh, dear God. Have you read her books? They're awful. Well, they weren't meant to be. Don't be dick. Let, let me pause there. Yeah. You you mentioned this earlier, but yeah. I, I went, in watching the clip again, I am just struck at he didn't even get out the right. word Ayn Rand yep. before she said, oh, dear God. Yep. It's like, Ayn, oh, dear God, there, Rand. There, there, there is no way she could have even digested nope. the word Ayn Rand. Maybe the actress before. is so leftist that she actually jumped the gun and she knew he was a mention Rand. So, uh, her, you know what I mean? She hates Rand so much. Who knows? Exactly. Like she, she couldn't even, <laughs> couldn't right. even wait until it was time to deliver the line. And also, right? so, sorry, Moby Dick's supposed to be great writing. I'm sorry, man. I tried. I tried. That's disgusting. Anyway, let's continue. They were meant to make you think. A guy bombs a building. The rich go out on strike. It's a 12-year-old's view of the world. It's like basing your philosophy on the books of John Grisham. You should reread them. Okay, so I said you should reread them. And that was the end of the clip. So at least, you know, there's somebody who's yeah. saying, okay, go read the book. She didn't get them correctly. And how out of context. He's a dynamiter, man. He blew up a building. Mark in they the don't chat. mention the fact that there was nobody in the <laughs> building or anything. Mark in the chat room over here is saying this clip is hideous. Yeah. Mark, um, am I right that I saw on Facebook that you guys had some bad election news in Canada this week? Feel mm. free to, to type there in the chat room if you want and let us know a little bit. About that. Oh, we actually have another caller that we should take before. Okay. We, have, we have about six minutes left, so I think we're good here. Let's see who this is. Hi, who's this? Hello, you're on hi, the air. Hi, this is Kim. Hi, this is Kim. Kim, hi. Are you a first-time caller? I am a first-time caller, but I've listened to you guys. Typically, I don't listen live to you. 
um, because unlike some other people, but not you guys, I actually work during the day, so which is a good thing. But anyway, people work at um, all different. I, people work at all different hours, you know. Anyway, so um, yeah, what can we help you with? Well, actually, I had called in a little earlier when you were talking about Rush Limbaugh's take on that election, mm-hmm. and uh, and I've listened to a lot of different um, takes on it, and. I kind of agree that I, I really think Tammy Bruce's analysis on the, on that night was excellent. But what I think um, we all need to kind of focus on is, and this goes back a little bit to Tammy's analysis of the Democrats voting, not in shenanigans, but voting for him because they okay. wanted him and not right. against Eric Cantor. And I think what we all need to kind of see is I hear this like from a lot of us out here is that we're just sick and tired of what I call the D.C. faction. And, you know, a faction just meaning a group of people with power. And so it doesn't matter if they're Democrats or Republicans. They're just all focused on their power in D.C. And they're the media. And so I would include Rush Limbaugh as one of them. I would include Hugh Hewitt as one of them. Anybody who, like, relies on D.C. for their power and for their livelihood to me is part of the D.C. faction. And so the rest of us just sitting out here in America trying to do our thing are really sick of that. And so I think we can quit pitting ourselves against each other left and right and just start um, looking at well, the fact I mean, that he, we all I, I, don't, I, I mean, to, I, um, I, I, I do think that the fact that Obamacare is there and that Obamacare has not produce the results that a lot of Democrats were expecting, and especially it's already affected so many you know, people's personal lives so negatively, that that might have been the spur to get people to vote Cantor out because he's part of the, the big machine. So, yeah, I could see some Democrats saying, okay, they're going to join us in maybe rebelling against the big machine on certain issues. Um, if, if it's really true, that, as the polls show, and Tammy, I remember Tammy was talking about this, that Democrats voted for Brat, not because they were just trying to, for instance, set up their Democratic option to win or anything like that, but because they seriously wanted somebody other than Cantor as the Republican candidate, or even voting for Dave Brat on the substance, in part because he is promising to help repeal Obamacare if it's possible to do. Um, I think that, yeah, that that's quite possible, and that would be a really wonderful sign if Democratic voters are coming around this way as well, because then what you've got, and I'm sure Tammy was saying this, but I don't think I heard her say this. You know, I've, I've listened to bits and pieces of her show this week, but not the whole thing, and uh, I'm sure she brought it up that these are Reagan Democrats in effect, right? Well, actually what she brought up that I heard was that district, specifically that district is a really red district. So you would assume there'd have to be Reagan Democrats in that district. Right. Because right. Um, she did the percentages, too, of drop-offs in different counties, and that's where she kind of came up with the analysis that these guys were, these Democrats were voting for somebody rather than right. against Eric Cantor. So, so, yeah, so, so your, your, me- your message really important. My message is we got to change our language because the media, well, you know what, um, the progressives do. They always change the language to, um, so people hear Tea Party or they hear, you know, a certain word and it puts a certain 
idea in their head. Even the word conservative puts a certain idea in their head. And so I want to change the language so that we're all kind of talking about the same thing. So okay. I call it the DC faction, and then that way we're kind of like um, all together in on this. Because I think if we talk to a lot of people, just if you talk to your neighbor, they may not think that they're politically aligned with you, but they may be much more closely politically aligned with you than they would ever imagine. Because, I mean, I fall prey to it all the time. And, right. um, you know, listen, I'm, I, Kim, Kim, I'm going to have to cut short because yeah. we're, we're almost out of time. I'm going to get, answer you quickly, uh, something off air. And this is something that, uh, or on air, but off the phone with you. Consider looking at the Sultan Kanish, his piece, and citing the issue of individualism as the thing that he thinks should tie us all together in fighting the current regime. I think the D.C. faction makes it an issue of personalities too much and that we need to make it an issue of ideology. And if we can really give a clear case of what individualism is, I think we're going to get it. And, you know, um, sorry, but the, Rush Limbaugh is not part of that. Yeah. I mean, he's not part of that yeah. Washington power elite. The other thing to look at is Paul Krugman mentioning Ayn Rand. Climate yeah. denialism is Ayn Rand's fault. And do take the little uh, look at the Bulletproof Coffee is a Bad Idea article. I'm still in favor of butter and coffee, yes. but just take a look at that. Don't make it a meal replacement. That's the essence of that. Okay, we are done. Go to DontLetItGo.com to continue your comments on today's show. Otherwise, we will talk to you next week. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And Blog Talk people, stay on. We're going to have the After the Show show. Okay, people, I got just crammed at the end there to the point where I couldn't even throw some music in because we had the caller. We were glad to have the caller, Kim. Thank you for calling in. Thanks, Kim. <laughs> people are cracking open beers and stuff for the after party. Yeah. They're, they're, you know, the reason, Happy I wanted, hour. the reason I want to do this after party thing, thanks, thanks State Defiance, by the way. He says, uh, have a great weekend, guys. Thank you. Thanks. The, the, the reason that I do this is just so you guys don't all got chick, kicked out of the chat room at the very end. It used to be that I would end the show and then people who had listened live and participated in the chat room, we could kind of go back and forth with the text right after the show. And now we're not able to do that. So does anybody in the chat room have any unfinished business for us? Because well, I'm just going to crack open Atlas and any page and start, just start reading like, 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 like a Scott Brick. One second. <laughs> okay, go ahead. But I have the right to demand it. I own your life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do, you fall, do you fall asleep? Almost. I mean, because the way he reads I'm, it. No, but I'm so conscious of the way he's reading it. I can't listen anymore. State Defiance says he's having Krispy Kreme chocolate donut and some Jack Jack Daniels wow. with a chocolate donut. I don't know. Dip I don't it know. in. <laughs> Odegaard. Oh, see, now you're revealing how long it's been since you participated because Odegaard, we have been doing yeah. this for a few weeks now. We have, That's and nice. I actually intended to do it before that, but I didn't quite pull it off. That's exactly. pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but, Odegaard, remember, he had this nice uh, idea for a T-shirt we have to get, Bosch. Oh, yeah. Can we make a graphic and put the T-shirt up? I think yeah, we'll, and we'll just for the record, I did coin that, later and today. I've been mm-hmm. posting on it for years now, status quo. So I what about this? I'm, I'm against the status quo. Would that be uh, worthy Definitely. of a T-shirt? Yeah. Okay. Definitely. We have a spread shirt store, I could de- I could, spreadshirt.com, I could nice. and I think it's forward slash don't let it go. 
I think I that's think what it is. Right. It's don't let it go. Is, is the I have my uh, designs. I have the Iron Man design. I have the uh, Cyrano design, which mm-hmm. is fun. Yeah. It has a shadow of Cyrano. If you look at him straight on, he's a handsome guy. On the side, you see the long nose. It's pretty cool. So I'm I'm against the status quo. I like Can we do that? Yes, definitely. Okay, let's definitely. do it. Let's get a T-shirt up there. I think that would be excellent. And in terms of a Kim's call, and you know, we all have to get together. And there are some people that they're done, they're gone. Especially those who voted for Obama twice. There's no saving them. They're over. They they will already, they're already locked in to vote for Hillary Clinton. So there's a vast majority of those on the left who are finished. Remember when we thought that 9/11 was going to wake yes. people in America up? Yes, I I thought so. And we think Obamacare is going to wake them up. Yeah. Mm-mm. No. No, we've been uh, beaten down. But yeah, I do I do think that if we're going to try to have any sort of an umbrella to create, it's not going to be oh we're all against a DC faction. No you need to describe what it is that they're doing that you're against. And what they're doing is they're throwing us all into collective pressure groups. Yes. And they're, you know, they're encouraging this practice of using the government as something that can pick winners and losers and steal from Peter and give to Paul and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's encouraging people to band together in groups, get themselves into a group that's favored and get some of the goodies, get some of the, you know, be picked as winners in a certain battle or whatever it is. We need to stop it. The only one, I think, in Washington also who can appeal to the Reagan Democrats is Ted Cruz, the Ted Cruz Democrats. I think that's the only one. You know, I think what's his name is trying to appeal to everyone, Rand Paul, which is why he won't appeal to most people. He's really going out of his way to, you know, someone be... Made, someone made a good point about Rand Paul, by the way, and I didn't include the link in the show for today, but I did check it out, and it was that the current foreign policy crisis that's going on in Iraq is going to put a real crimp in Rand Paul's sort of campaign, assuming that he's going to adopt the foreign policy stance of his father, well, which is a non-engagement, non-engagement no, he, will, he will try to BS it out there. Right. He will. You know he believes in the same crap. We need a foreign policy of appropriate engagement, but we need a not... Pro, we need a pro-American foreign policy. How right. about that? But what we, we need to not do the neocon... Oh, man. You know, going in and building infrastructure <sighs> and state I mean, building. Think about it. Building infrastructure for savages. They have, as Mark Levin says, they have no civil society. There has never been any civil society there, ever. So we want to build these institutions. Okay, guys, you can vote now. Voting for what? Like the quote-unquote Palestinians vote for the knife or the gun. Which one? Which one? Right. Which one's quicker? No, Which one's slower? Which one's uglier? So, I, you know, really I think the biggest thing is that we not go around people. We have to put, we have to put it in ideological terms. And that was one thing that uh, Sultan Kanish Daniel Greenfield pointed out in his article, which is that the Republicans have not stood for anything ideological at all. No. And in many ways, they have been indistinguishable from the Democrats, and we need a clear message. He suggested individualism, that the Republican Party should stand on principle for individualism. I would say the candidate that is doing that in the most principled way in Washington right now is Ted Cruz. Yeah. I mean, he's the only guy there. He's he's the guy. And he understands the importance of free speech, which is yes, the does. most important. He made that great piece. You know, they also talk about it in a very principled way, which is what you know leaders do. Now, what sounds too anarchist? Daniel said that something sounds too anarchist. I don't know. Maybe is, uh, it, is it the T-shirt, or is it something that we said? Well, the status quo is not anarchist. Yeah, because you know? a, a statist is yeah. not. 
someone who just believes in a proper government. It's someone who believes that the state... Okay, uh, Kim, she meant uh, the anti-DC. Oh, the anti-DC in general. Okay, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I, two... I, would, I would say today it's totally understandable to say that we're against almost everybody in Washington, D.C., and to point out things like the fact that the property around D.C. is the most expensive to live in in the entire country. And the reason is is that all of these politicians are so-called living off the teat. I actually hate that, but that's nah. the phrase that's been going nah. around on talk radio forever. You know, that, that basically the politicians are skimming off of the top of all the government programs in one way or another that they are voting for. And it's a horrible thing that has to be stopped. And the only way to stop it maybe is from outside Washington. So this idea of, you know, being against D.C., particularly D.C. establishment, I don't think that's bad, but I would not frame the basic battle as, look, we're all against the D.C. establishment. No. That's horrible. It's not principle. It's not ideological. We need something ideological. And individualism, if you talk about individualism and individual rights in particular, if we can get people to halfway understand the concept of individual rights and stand up for it on principle, we are doing well. Did Kim say that this show's listeners are unemployed? Yeah. I missed that. Well, she was saying basically, well, I have a job during the day. But the fact that some people have jobs during the day, some people are listening from overseas, yeah. too. So their workday is long over. But the fact that you know, pe yeah. people don't necessarily work from 9 to 5. No, they It don't. is true that by being here on Fridays, we are missing potential audience that we could have if we had our weekly show on the weekend. And that's something that we'll take into consideration in the future, depending Maybe. on how different things right. go. So, in terms so, of a bigger live audience, let's say. Right, right, right. right. That's something to, to but, but I love interacting with everybody who's able to make it here. I love our regular group, our regular callers oh, and yeah. stuff, and you guys all in the chat room make it a wonderful thing. Always appreciate the listenership. Cobra here in the chat room says, I telecommute so I can listen, which is awesome. Yeah, everybody works in their own way. Jobs are very flexible in different yeah. hours these days. It's not, yeah. But also the idea to uh, put Rush Limbaugh into that gang, it just doesn't make sense. Rush Limbaugh is a critic of the status. He's a critic. Of Obama, he's a critic. He's of not Obama. always as staunch a no, critic as we would no, like. No, he's not. Right. Uh, Levin is. I mean, Levin goes all the way, and then he, of course he says things that we disagree with, but he names names. He goes after John Boehner, Rush, if almost never, as far as I know, um, at, at least never used to. I don't know if he does now. After Levin may push him to, but he goes after these guys on an individual basis and on a government at, at large, big government at large, at Obama, at everyone, and that's important. Okay, everyone, I think we are going to get out of here pretty quick here. And Oh, oh actually, we do. We have a new caller. This is I'm a not new sure. caller. We do. We have a new one. I think it's a different area code than the last. Hi, who's this? Hey, my name is Scott from uh, St. Louis. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Hey, I'm, I'm glad I saw you because I was about to end the show thinking we were all done. So what can I do for you, Scott? No, I just wanted to uh, know what your what is your input on uh, you know the whole you know thing that's going on with uh, you know Washington you know in Washington right now with uh, you know soldiers supposed to be coming home from from Afghanistan and you know they still over there and I mean this whole war thing is supposed to be over with you know like you know a long time ago after Bush left. I just want to get I your input on that. I mean, I mean, here, here's the thing, whether or not what we really should actually be doing in Afghanistan has been done, I don't know. What I do know is that under Bush or under Obama, it didn't seem like they were doing it. Things have continued to get worse. As I understand, five of our guys 
in Afghanistan got killed this week in so-called friendly fire, as they call it. Yeah, yeah way- I, heard, I heard, and it was sad. I, I heard about that. Right. So, I mean, I, I agree that we should be bringing these guys home, especially if we're going to be doing things the way we're doing. But one last thing, sorry. But, but we've got ISIS over in Iraq no. right now. Something needs to be the done The enemy is not over. Yeah. The enemy is not defeated. Right. That's why. Defeat then, the enemy, then, then, then come home. what is that guy's home. name that uh, Obama had, uh, had the, uh, the special ops guys uh, rescue him? I guess he was a prisoner of war for like five years over in, what is that, Afghanistan somewhere, and they finally had brought him home or something, and they were saying that Obama didn't do the right procedures on, you know, getting approved for it as far as, you know, uh, yeah, you know, releasing uh, prisoners I mean, really, from... Uh, yeah, really, really the procedure in that was not so much the issue as the fact of swapping five Taliban guys when the war is still actively going on you know, get sending those guys and setting them free over there in exchange for this guy who, as far as we can tell, may have gone over to the enemy side willingly. And uh, so I, it, it's horrible, of course. It's horrible, of course. And I think yeah. it sends a bad, a bad message to our military members, you know. Yeah, it do. And actually, they say he actually walked off a base and then they actually, uh, he actually was yeah. captured by, uh, I guess, insurgents or something like that. They say he had walked, walked off his post because he had got fed up with the whole war thing, and I guess he didn't want to be a part of it. So what what is your thought on it? What have you thought of uh, the way Obama handled that or foreign policy in general? What do you think? I feel like I feel like it was handled very poorly. You know, it's not a, about a race thing and, and all of that. It's about what's right. And uh, I feel like he handled it very, uh, very poorly. You know, there's a lot of things that Obama, I felt, that should have no, he could have did better to help help the people, Republicans, Democrats, you know, everybody, you know, because Well what what would you state. what would you what would you what would you have had Obama do to help the people? Well, I mean, number one, I mean, you know, as far as, you know, jobs, I mean people need money. You know, people need to have money to to support their kids, their families and, and all so of that. What, so I mean what, the, what do you what do you think thing, what do you think government should do in terms of Jobs is it is it the government's job to create jobs? Is that what it's supposed to do in your mind? Well, I mean, the thing about it is, I mean, you know, uh, the corporations, I mean, in general, need to you know make a way for people to to work. I mean, how can a person support his family if he don't have any opportunity to go out and get a job and make the money? I mean, how is he going to get so, the money? So, so I mean, I think I think there are plenty of corporations who would like to invest and create jobs, but they are being taxed at one of the highest corporate tax rates in the entire world here in the United States, which makes it very difficult. There's also all sorts of regulations, including Obamacare, that is putting a huge crimp in the budgets. So I would say Obama's policies have, in fact, worked to kill the job market. You know, we're still in the in the job situation uh, at a flat 6.3% unemployment and a 36%, uh, or not a 36%, excuse me, a 36-year low in terms of the labor participation rate. So everything that he's done is to basically take wealth and time and energy away from corporations. It's corporations that create jobs, right? Government can't create jobs. Government will point a gun at you and force you to pay taxes, and then they'll take that money and, and maybe create a temporary job for somebody where they're digging one hole and then filling another hole. 
you know, phony jobs. Yeah, Obama but, can't but create jobs, only, but he can sure as hell destroy, yeah. help, help destroy them. Yeah, that, so, so really, I mean, in my view, the best thing that the government can do is get out of the way of the companies, stop regulating them so much, reduce the taxes, and let the corporations, let, let us actually have a real financial recovery. But it doesn't look like we're going to see that for a long time uh, under Obama. Yeah, well, that's why I say, you know, his decision uh, affects millions, you know, and uh, it's just very sad that uh, a lot of people got to, you know, go through this, you know. Uh, but, I mean, hopefully things will get better, you know. I mean, I mean what, what do you, what do you think about that? What do, you think, what do you think about the idea of cutting the taxes on the corporations so that they have more money to hire people? Well, I mean, it, 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 it makes sense, you know. It makes sense because, I mean, uh, what's that company that that, that, that shut down uh, uh, Macy's? Uh, I hear that they, you know, they've been around for a long time. You know, years, Macy's years, is shutting years, down. You know? Wow. Yeah, if, if Macy's yeah, is shutting I mean, down, that's terrible. Huh. Yeah. So I mean, it's just like you know, all these big companies that've been around ever since you and I was kids. I mean, now you know they 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 they, they cutting down stores, and then eventually you know they're gonna shut down, and it's like you know somebody you know up in government is doing something wrong. You know, somebody's not making the right decision. So if a, if, a, if a candidate ran on a platform that included cutting corporate taxes because that will enable the corporations to survive and hire more people, would you support that candidate? Oh, most definitely. I, I mean, I'm all, I'm all for the people. I'm all about, you know, change in a good way. You know, I mean, you can make change, but if it's not going to be beneficial to the people and helping people and bettering people, then... It don't make well, sense to, to have change. Let's, let's talk about it from a different angle because I agree that it would help the people if you, cut, you know, cut the taxes from, to the corporations. But what about defending the corporation's right to keep their money on a moral basis? If you said, look, here's a corporation, say it's Macy's or Target or whoever, and they create value out in the world. Nobody's forced to shop there. They earn money by providing value to people, right? That's how they earn their profits. And they should be entitled to keep those profits and, and do whatever they want with them. Now, it just happens to be that when they do keep their money, they're going to end up hiring a bunch of people. But I actually believe that on a moral basis that those corporations should be able to keep their money. I, I agree with you that that would probably be also serving the greater good because then they would be able to create jobs. But really, the like this. sure. Go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was gonna say like this. Most of these companies, they're, they're billionaires. They got money. They got a lot of money. So for them to, you know, not want to help the middle class and the poor, I mean, I don't, I don't understand it. I mean, if if you already got billions and billions of dollars and you wanting about you know, paying taxes and the taxes are being more higher, so therefore that's the reason not to make well, jobs so people can work and support their family. I don't understand. I mean, you well, know, Scott, people Scott, can okay, have so, a billion so, dollars and, and, and complain about paying taxes. I mean, you, you're a millionaire, a billionaire. I mean, what is the big fuss about? Well, okay, so here's what the big fuss is about. The big fuss is about whether people should deal with each other on a voluntary basis or whether they should be forced to do things, right? Government is forced. Why do you pay taxes, right? Do you pay taxes because you're eager to have that money taken out of your account? No. 
it's because you go to jail, right? The IRS will come grab your money, whatever it's going to happen. They're going to use force against you. And well, well, I don't know if you, I don't know if you know this, but I mean, really, from what I hear and from what I was told, that really, uh, people make the IRS is basically uh, illegal. Basically, we shouldn't have to pay anything, you know. You know, I've I've heard that. I actually, um, Scott, I actually have a book on my shelf, and it's called Vultures and Eagles Clothing or something like that. And it was this old book by these tax dodge people who believe that they could write, you know, in calligraphy these letters to the IRS calling them blood-sucking pigs and all this kind of stuff, right? And it's kind of satisfying to think that you could just write a letter to the IRS, prove that they're illegal and that you can't do it. But really, that 16th Amendment that says that they can have the income tax, I think that's the thing that did it, and practically speaking, no, that's not. What we need to do is we need to work towards a day where all taxes are voluntary. And then here's my real extreme view. I'm glad you found the show because we haven't talked before. This is great. I'm glad you called in, Scott. But I have the real extremist view, which is that all taxes should be voluntary and that we could pay for all the proper functions of government because I'm not an anarchist. I believe we should have police, courts, and military. As your own book says, a necessary good. Government is a necessary good. Exactly, a necessary good. And that you could pay for that through a voluntary tax. So, for example, corporations, I believe, and I I think all of us would pay a 3% tax on the value of any contract that we entered into. And that tax would enable us to enforce that contract in a court of law if things go bad and stuff like that. So there's there's ways that you can make taxation voluntary and not now, you know, you, you talked about the billions that corporations have. And there's another thing I wanted to take up they there. Um, yeah. How did the corporations get their billions? They If they have billions, the corporations that are getting billions of dollars are doing it by providing value to people and people are choosing to give their money over, right? That's not a bad thing. That's yeah. a good thing. Well, I'm not, I'm not saying it's, it's, it's a bad thing that they have billions of dollars, you know, but I'm just saying, you know, as far as, you know, the taxes and, and complaining about the tax rate and not being able to provide jobs for people, I feel like, you know, uh, if you can help people and, I mean, if you, if you got a billion dollars, I mean, if I had a billion dollars, I wouldn't trip about paying taxes. If I could provide uh, well, 5,000 well, jobs here's, for here's, here's the thing, right? Morally, morally, I think that they should be entitled to keep their money unless they choose to give it away as a charitable matter. So, yeah, if I had a billion dollars, there would be a number of charities that I would gladly give to. I would research the ones that I believe were good causes Individuals and, and in particular, do it. I, think. I wouldn't spend a whole lot of time doing it. You know, I'm kind of like Steve Jobs in that thing, that we have to spend our lives, our very short lives on this planet, doing the things that we believe in. And that's not going to give you a whole lot of time to research worthwhile charities. But if you know some, give, them, give money to them. That's fine. What I'm against is the idea that people say that they are entitled to take money away from the corporations and moreover that we can just all vote for politicians and that politicians can direct the government to point guns at the corporations and make them give the money whether they like it or not. There's a lot of corporations that have very, you know, uh, generous charitable programs in addition to paying their taxes. I'm for the charity route because I'm all for voluntary. I'm for people interacting 
on the basis of voluntary trade, providing value for value. You know, you call in and you want to talk about things that you care about on this show, and I like having the engagement with you, somebody who I've never talked to before and never had precise, you know, exactly this conversation. We're trading value for value right here. I want that to be the basis of all engagement in life. So I don't want government using force against people unless they are criminals, unless they've violated the rights of other people. And corporations have not violated the rights of other people. In fact, a lot of corporations have provided tremendous value, provided jobs and all sorts of things. And I don't think they should be treated like criminals simply because they have a bunch of money. And if, and if, you're, you, know, if you take money away from them, I feel like you're, you're treating them like a criminal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you do have a point on that. Uh, I mean, it, it, it all comes out of that. And that really, Scott, if I, if I could get you to think about anything, it's that issue of what should be the basis of human interaction in society. Should it be voluntary where nobody is forcing each other, where the use of force is banned unless it's done in retaliation? So the only way that you can use force is if it's in you know, actual self-defense, or retaliation. I want to get rid of the idea that government has the power to take money from some against their will and give it to others. I'm all for charity if they want to do it. You know, again, you should not you should never sacrifice to give to charity, I don't think. I don't think that you should trade a high value for a lesser value. Like, you know, the Taliban swap, that was a sacrifice clearly because we gave five guys that are probably going to continue to fight against the United States in exchange for a guy that's worth nothing or less than nothing, right? That's a sacrifice. I'm against sacrifice. But I am for, if people want to, you know, billionaires who have extra money and can, you know, give it away wisely to things that will really help, I'm totally for that. But what I'm against is the idea that government should be taking it by force. And... um and that's kind of one of that's one of the reasons I do this show, Scott. Okay. Uh, how, how long have you been doing this show? If you don't mind me asking, I actually got this number uh, just kind of searching around on Google and uh, just wanted to do something different and find a, a online blog talk show, and, and your uh, information came up. Well, I'm glad you found me. I've been doing it for a little over three years here on Blog Talk Radio. Or is it two years? It's coming up on three years. Yeah almost three years here on Blog Talk Radio. I've been doing it over three years total. And, uh, yeah, Blog Talk's a cool platform, so if you ever get into the talk radio thing yourself, it's a cool thing to check out. Oh, okay, cool. And you be on, like, uh, every week or, you know, every every couple of weeks? Or how often do you uh, I'm I'm on once I'm on once a week, and you're in St. Louis, so you're on East Coast time. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, I'm in St. Louis, yep. And it is East Coast time for St. Louis. Am I right or am I wrong? I can't remember. No, no, it's not East Coast time. I think we're... You're Central. Central, yeah. Okay, Central. So that means your time, my show starts at 2 p.m. and goes to 4 p.m. technically. And then we have the show after party after 4 p.m. Because it's, it's, what, about 4.30 your time right now, right? Yeah, yeah, around about 425, yep. Yeah, yeah. So typically you would start, if if you want to listen to me in the future, which I would love, and, and call in as much as you want, um, from 2 to 4 is my main show, and then afterwards we kind of hang around a bit. So you just happen to catch me. Oh, okay, yeah. I remember you said you were just about to uh, end the show. I'm glad yeah. I had the opportunity to call in and talk to you. Uh, right now I'm, uh, i am i got to get back to work. Uh, okay. 
but I just wanted to, you know, call and, you know, see what the show was all about. And, you know, uh, I appreciate you uh, taking out the time to, uh, you know, talk to me. Now, Scott, if you go over to my blog at don'tletitgo.com, okay, and just remember this for later, it's just don'tletitgo.com, and you'll click on the little tab that says Amy, there's an email address there where you can email me if you want. If you email me uh, an address to send something to you, I will send you a book to read that you can either read or not read at your leisure. It's called The Virtue of Selfishness. That sounds really controversial, I know, but The Virtue of Selfishness by Ayn Rand. And she talks about some of the ideas that we were, you and I were going back and forth here today. So it's up to you. I'll send you a free book if you want it. All you have to do is ask for it, okay? Okay, no problem. Well, uh, I will uh, do that and uh, send you over my email address and everything. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate talking to you. Okay, great. Thanks for calling in, Scott. Take care. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that's longer than I normally thought I would stay on for the show after party, but if you get a new person who calls in and you can have an exchange of ideas with, because I don't think he has really known that much. I should have asked him if he knows about Ayn Rand, but instead I just talked about the ideas. That's very good. Anyway, we'll see. Good job. So far, people that I've asked, because I've had a couple of kind of random callers like that here and there, and I've had good exchanges with them, and I thought maybe they'll email me and ask me for the book, and then they never do. Right, so use offers. We'll see. Um, And actually, if you're still listening, Scott, you could also get a fiction book instead. If you tell me that your preference is fiction, I'll send you either The Fountainhead or Atlas Shrugged. You may have heard them talked about in the media. Atlas Shrugged is the book that portrays really what's going on today. And if you plow through that book, I don't know. If I'm ever in St. Louis, I'll buy you dinner. <laughs> you bashed him over the head, though, with reason, right? <laughs> That's what you did. That's what I did. Um, people in the chat room enjoyed no, it, so just, that was at good. At first, I was a little frustrated. I was like, man, but then, I was, you know what? He was softening up. You he know, was like, you know what? Because he's listening. He's actually who, listening. Who was it that called before and then Batten said, oh. you hung up on him too quickly? Yes. Uh, well, the guy was a punk. He said that. Yeah. Uh, no, he I, I was. Could, I could have had a productive follow-up. N- no maybe. way with that guy. Okay. That guy called uh, Ted Cruz um, he called him a, a, a lunatic. lunatic. Right, you right. can't deal with and, a guy like that. Well, but I could have at least followed up a little and said, okay, I why do you call so. him a lunatic? No, but yeah. once he calls him a lunatic, he has no reason because he's not a lunatic. <laughs> Oh, no. Bosch hung up on Daniel. No, that couldn't have been Daniel. It might have. (laughs) That could not have been Daniel. I hung up on one guy who was absolutely pushing it. If that was you, no, you know what? Oh, I thought, you know what? Actually, I thought it was, but it wasn't Daniel. I've got the blog talk lady in my ear saying 90 seconds, so we do have to go. And I will... If I Talk did, Daniel, sorry, have, sorry, to, to end the show. Yeah, sorry, that's horrible. Um, so, Daniel, call in another time. We will, we will be nice. He might be joking because there's one time I thought he was one guy, and, and he wasn't. There was a real punk out there. Okay, everyone, <laughs> we do have to go. Blog Talk Radio is going to kick us off pretty soon. Go to don'tletitgo.com if you want to leave any more comments on today's. And uh, we were trying to avoid we'll, that. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. Okay, take care. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. 
Chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.